Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Friday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Appreciate you tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We have a packed Friday show, sort of. It's not been the week of the guest, but we've got Greg on for picks in his usual Friday slot. Uh, he dis- was dispatching from home, as far as I know, this week. There's no background, no background noise. Uh, Greg, Greg seemed pretty locked into his picks. So, in uh, what has become where in the world is uh, LB's Greg every week for the pick segment. He appeared to be uh, fast at home. I think he was making some duck poppers and uh, ready to deliver some winners. So we've got that at the end. And then I had a, two guests lined up, and uh, each of them fell through for different reasons. And so I'm just going to do two opens to start the podcast. As I mentioned, it hasn't been the week of the guests. I know some people on the message board were decrying the uh, the Wednesday guest. Look, it is what it is. I was kind of scrambling a little bit as I outlined. So uh, we'll be back on a regular schedule next week. Got a great LSU LSU week plan for you guys. So apologies for, uh, I guess, more of my voice this week, lack of guests, but whatever it is what it is. Sometimes it just really kind of happens that way. But before we get to what I kind of want to get to off the top, it'll be some old Miss Tennessee related stuff. And then uh, I guess I'll finally kind of give my opinion on the general media landscape. It's been a very, very bizarre week in media to say, to say the least. So I'll, uh, I'll hit probably on a little bit of that. Then maybe give you a couple of things to watch for in this Kentucky, or excuse me, in this Tennessee Ole Miss game, which is sure to be a fun one on Saturday night. Before we get to that one, remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. You need to check these guys out. They're coming off a five and two week in the NFL. I need to add up their year to date again, but I mean, they were nine and one two weeks ago. You got a seven and oh in week one. It's uh, they're rolling along in the NFL. Had a 12 unit weekend on NASCAR last weekend and chugging along in college football as well. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's week long, month long. I'd recommend just doing the year long all sports. You're going to make your money back and then some, but you can do year long sports specific. Point being, they're going to have something that fits your price range. Just go on there, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out the packages. They've got some cool merch in the store as well. I'm rocking a Skybox hat as we speak, actually. And uh, they've actually got some articles up to make you a smarter gambler as well. Skybox is really the total package. You need to check these guys out. I know you've been using the promo code. I really appreciate that because it lets you know that we uh, that we sent you and also that you know it's working, this whole marketing thing for them. So I appreciate that. Um, check them out. Use the promo code RIPPY. You'll get 20% off your first purchase. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no ad read. He's going to be on for an hour. Uh, he kind of talked about what he had. Not kind of. He talked about what he had going on at the store. It certainly made me hungry. Uh, but check him out. As always, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, the OG sponsor of this show. Uh, that's original. Uh, apparently, the youths are saying OG. So uh, I started adopting that as well. A couple people younger than me in the office. So uh, I got to sound hip for the, for the youths. Anyway, check them out, LPC University Avenue, across from Kroger. Today's open, I'll start with more of an old Miss Tennessee-centric uh, before we get to kind of the second part in the uh, media landscape aspect of this as well. I was into some numbers last night, and I think they'll – I'll kind of just offer some general thoughts. I want to do, like, cold, hard facts. Shout-out to SportsCenter back in the day. That was kind of one of my favorite segments on SportsCenter or, you know, five keys to the game or something generic like that. I'll just offer a couple of things that I, uh, that I found interesting. Tennessee is uh, 
obviously playing really efficiently on the offensive side of the ball. Ever since they've moved to Hendon Hooker, uh, they've really looked like a different offense. They're optioning, uh, operating at a, a much more optimal capacity all around. Uh, they're very similar to Ole Miss. Obviously, they picked from the same tree. Jeff Lebby was Josh Heupel's offensive coordinator in 2019. So very similar offenses. Uh, from what I've been able to watch of Tennessee and kind of looking back through some stuff this week, uh, I'll never call it watching film. It's really just watching games and condensed games on YouTube. As Weldon quickly pointed out when we first started doing the Sunday show, it's like, that's not really watching film. That's not really how like the film angles work. So from what I've been able to see uh, from kind of like the casual observance of Tennessee, it's Ole Miss's offense with a couple of different concepts because uh, they have some different style receivers and they love to, they really, really love to ball, run the ball. If you think Ole Miss likes running the football, Tennessee is going to hammer away at the run. I think a lot of that is just uh, a little bit of insecurity at quarterback play. I think Hendon Hooker has shored that up a little bit, but I guess what I'm getting at is they don't have a Matt Corral quarterback and they're going to go fast. Hell yes, they're going to go fast. So it's, it's going to be two very similar schemes. Two defenses, not a lot of depth. Tennessee's fared better defensively. They have a probably – well, they definitely have a better defensive front on the defensive line, um, but not much depth. And I'm just not really sure how to gauge them because they haven't played an offense with any firepower. I mean, I think the closest thing would be to pit what they gave up, four, 38 points in that game, somewhere along the high 30s, low 40s. And then the rest of it's just kind of been Florida, which they gave up 38. And I think that's kind of similar to Ole Miss in Arkansas last week, whereas if you watch the first half of that Tennessee-Florida game, uh, Tennessee was winning for a lot of that first half. And Heupel called a fantastic game. Uh, I think he's a good coach. I know Weldon has been on the, the Heupel bandwagon for quite a while. And he schemed up a good game. And they went – I think they technically trailed 17-14 at halftime, but they were kind of in control of the game. And the second half, they just got worn down. It was very much the, the Ole Miss giving up 37 points in the last 22 minutes last week on the field for 95 plays. Tennessee just doesn't have the depth for that. And I think Ole Miss is going to have a real opportunity to wear Tennessee down. And I think that's, this sounds so obvious, and I say this every week, but I think that's going to be why it's crucial for Ole Miss to be able to run the football with success. Because you saw what this offense looked like when it was not able to run the ball at all. And that was, of course, Alabama. Now, Tennessee does not have Alabama's defensive front, but they're still pretty good. It's a pretty basic 4-2-5 scheme. Tim Banks, the was at Penn State, I believe, before he came down to work for Hypo as defensive coordinator. Uh, 4-2-5. They've been known to kind of show some 3-3-5 stuff in the past. I, to be honest, have not watched enough to know if uh, they've shown much of that this year. But point being, it's a pretty good defensive front. And if Ole Miss is not able to run the football with much success, uh, I think it's going to greatly decrease their chances of winning the game. This is why you subscribe and listen to this podcast for dynamite takes like that. But I guess what I mean by that is one, you kind of seen what this looks like when Ole Miss isn't running the ball, because that means they're really struggling blocking crowd doesn't have as much time to throw. And at Ole Miss, even with the Heisman contender, a quarterback is not nearly as good when they're one dimensional. And of course, the second part of that to kind of lead into what I was talking about with Tennessee, not having depth, Ole Miss really rode Arkansas into the ground running the football last week. I know it was kind of ironic that the, some like the end of the game ended on a couple of explosive plays, but I think a part of that was some sort of, in some degree, some lapses based on fatigue. You could tell Arkansas was worn down. And I think Ole Miss is going to try to do the same to Tennessee. I think they'll throw the ball a little bit more because Tennessee secondary is, uh, is, is okay. I think they were kind of expecting them going into the season to be atrociously bad. And they've just been fine, I should say, but they're not as talented as Arkansas, I don't think. And I think Ole Miss will try to exploit that a little bit more, but running the football for, with success is going to be absolutely huge for Ole Miss because if you get Tennessee on the field a lot in the second half and worn down, 
Ole Miss is going to move the ball at will. And that kind of plays into their hands. If their defense can just get a couple stops on each in each half, it's kind of the two stop theory we've been talking about. I think Ole Miss will be fine. And for as much maligned as this defense has been, and a lot of it deservedly so, I feel weird sounding like a defensive apologist after they gave up 676 yards and 51 points. But in every single game they've played, they've gotten a couple stops in the first half, right? I mean, the one time they weren't in plus territory uh, in the first half against Alabama, they forced a punt, and it was actually a crucial punt. And, look, I'm not saying they played good by any means against Alabama, but they've gotten a couple stops. They got two stops in the first half or a stop and a turnover um, against Arkansas, and Ole Miss offense wasn't able to do anything with it. And so I think Ole Miss is going to have an opportunity to create separation early in this game if the offense comes out firing, I guess, on all cylinders, because, you know, it's going to be hard to wear them down early in the game, right? I think Tennessee for a quarter and a half to two quarters is going to put up a pretty good fight defensively. That Again, defensive front, pretty good. Linebacking core, all right. Secondary core, eh. Secondary core. Secondary, eh. Brandon Turnage, Lafayette uh, High School product, uh, playing some good snaps for them back there. But if Ole Miss can be really, really sharp offensively through the first 18 minutes-ish of this game, 18 to 20 minutes, and your defense gets you a stop and you create separation. I don't really enjoy, like, I don't really see Tennessee's chances of, you know, chasing the game in the second half working out for them very well because of the lack of depth that they have defensively. And look, the same story goes for Ole Miss. These programs right now are not programs. These teams are mirror images of each other. These programs are not in the same spot. That would be misspeaking. But I don't really like Tennessee's chances of winning, of chasing the game. So I really think if Ole Miss can, you know, score, stop, score to start the game. I think that will be absolutely massive in terms of the way the rest of the game is going to play out. Again, I'm kind of stating the obvious here, but when you have a defense that Ole Miss has, and similar to Tennessee, there's just not as much margin for error. And so I think the start of these games is going to be, you know, massive. I thought the start of the Arkansas game was fairly important, even though it didn't go great for Ole Miss. But I think this one, particularly on the road, and particularly given this, high-flying offense for Tennessee that likes to go tempo as well, I think it's going to be massively important. So those are just a couple of things I noticed uh, with regard to Tennessee as well. And then a couple other things I'm looking for, you know, as much talk as there's been about the three, two, six, and one of the guests I was trying to have on this week that I just wasn't able to make work was a former football player, Gerald Rivers. I don't know if you guys remember him. He came to Ole Miss under nut played on the early freeze defenses, I think the 2012, 2013. So kind of right before that program really ascended under freeze, but was kind of laying the foundation as coaches like to say he played uh, under them and actually kind of stuck around in the NFL for a little bit. He was, it's funny enough, as much as I little as I value Twitter was tweeting about the three, two, six being a really kind of crappy spot for Ole Miss's defensive lineman to be in. And it wasn't like, you know, former players sometimes will get on and kind of rag on like what the team is doing and like how they know better. It wasn't like coming out of that vein at all. He was offering some really interesting thoughts about some, you know, lighter defensive linemen getting double teamed and Ole Miss kind of, I guess, wasting them to some degree. And so I was trying to get his thoughts on that. It didn't work out. Uh, shocker, professional athletes don't always respond to DMs in a timely manner. Uh, it's like almost like they have more to do than talk to podcasters. But one of the reasons I wanted to get him on is because I think this game is going to be crucial for Ole Miss in terms of what they do and what they show creativity-wise in the 3-2-6. Tennessee's defensive line is bad. Tennessee's allowed 20 sacks this year. That is the most in the SEC. That is worse than LSU. That's worse than Vanderbilt. That's worse than Missouri. Other Missouri's defensive line is not terrible. But they've allowed 
uh, 20 sacks. Like that's, that's a lot. And they've been banged up. I think they were on their third string center in the Florida game. I haven't really checked to see kind of what the state of their offensive line is this week, but point being, they're not really that good when they're healthy. Um, and I think Ole Miss is going to have a real opportunity to get after Hendon Hooker. And, you know, he's been accurate enough. I think they went with Milton to start the year because they were pretty comparable in the run game. And Milton had a stronger arm and kind of, for the lack of a better phrase, looked the part more. But it just didn't translate to game action. And Hooker's been a lot more accurate, I think. He's completing 69.7% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, one pick. That's pretty damn good. Now, granted, He's not always pushing the ball down the field. He's averaging 9.5 yards per uh, completion, but some of that's deceiving. He's had three or four screens go for touchdowns over 30, 40 yards um, since he's taken over. So some of that's a little deceiving, but my point being is when you have a average to good quarterback, which is kind of the, what I would put KJ Jefferson in, what I would put Hendon Hooker in, what I would put, I guess Emory Jones in that kind of range, like not the Bryce Youngs and Matt Corrales of the world. Clearly, I think it's going to be important to kind of pressure them and really make them think and make them sweat. What does Hendon Hooker look like when he has pressure in his face? I think you saw some of that in the Florida game. I thought he actually handled himself pretty well. The kid appears to be tough as hell, but he prematurely bailed out of the pocket a decent bit. And, you know, for all Ole Miss's flaws, you saw it with Malik Cunningham in the opening game. They were pretty good kind of, when the quarterback scrambles to close that gap and wrap up, I'm kind of thinking about Chance Campbell, Otis Reese. They've been pretty decent in that regard. You know, that spy blitz that they've used with Chance Campbell a couple of times has worked pretty well. I was surprised they didn't do more of it last week. So point being, when he's flushed out of the pocket, there have been times where he's won either, like he's seriously been prone to not throw the ball away and try to make something happen and has forced it in some tight windows a couple of times and, you know, he's gotten away with it for the most part, but I think he's been kind of living on living, living, uh, living right, I guess, to say in that regard. I think he might be due for a turnover or two, just kind of watching their last three games. So I think he'll, I think if you can get pressure on him, one, you're going to get sacks. I think, I mean, if Ole Miss is a little more creative and Sam Williams is, you know, Sam Williams for 85% of the snaps and is kind of invested and engaged and, and I hate to say trying, but you kind of get what I'm getting at he could have a monster game off the edge. And I don't think Ole Miss is going to get pressure with three. They haven't shown the ability to do it all year. Three blocking, five blocking three, shockingly, has not worked out enough because Ole Miss just not, does not have enough guys that can beat double teams on a regular basis. They just don't. As Weldon pointed out on the Sunday show, yeah, it's part of football, but at the same time, like you got to kind of have guys that can split double teams. Like You just need it. So – I don't think Ole Miss has that. And so what does that mean? They need to blitz. They need to get more creative in sending pressure at opposing quarterbacks, you know, with linebackers or whatever, someone in the secondary, whoever it is. I'm not a savant to try to start dial up different blitz schemes, and I'm not going to pretend to explain to you how that works. I just know Ole Miss needs to get a little more aggressive and borderline reckless with how they pressure the quarterback. It seems that they've been a little timid to do it because they don't necessarily love uh, you know, what they've seen in the secondary, particularly at corner. Kiffin mentioned that after the Arkansas loss, we have to get better at corner. We played terrible at corner. And he mentioned it. He's like, it's not other guys. These guys have to play better. They're older guys that have played a lot of football. And, you know, I guess he's right in that sense. I, I'm not smart enough to gauge how badly or how well the corners have played this year. But point being, I think they've been a little bit hesitant to pressure and to blitz. And while I can see that to some degree, 
if they can get Jake Springer back healthy, and I'm like you, I have, I'm not privy to his status. I don't really know. Kiffin doesn't do the injury thing. I really think that will go a long way in them trusting uh, the secondary a little more and being more inclined to blitz, if that makes sense. Look, again, I, I don't think the defense and the secondary should be given a ton of a pass because they've missed Jake Springer since the opening game. But if you hear Kiffin or really any of the players talk about Jake Springer, he does a lot in that kind of nickel star, whatever you want to call it, position for Ole Miss and is is really kind of – not kind of, he's very important. And so I just wonder, actually, you know, sometimes we overestimate on paper, oh, he's out, or like this guy's out, Ole Miss or whoever the team may be is screwed, when in reality it may not make that much of an impact. And in some cases we undervalue it. And when it's a secondary member that hasn't been in the program that long and we've only seen him play one game, it's like, eh – okay, not that important, whatever, next man up. You probably don't even think about it throughout the course of a game. And I think we may be mistaking if we're doing that because it, from the sounds of it, and I listened to a couple press conferences this week from Kiffin, it sounds like he's really, really important to what they do. And so if they can get him back, maybe they will be a little bit more uh, liberal and kind of free-flowing or, you know, uh, free, I don't know the phrase, but kind of fire their bullet a little bit more in blitzing. I think that will be a huge key to this game. And uh, one last piece of news. Tyon Evans, there's a TV station in Tennessee out of Knoxville, I believe, reporting that running, but Tennessee running back Tyon Evans is going to miss this game. That is absolutely massive news. Um, you'd probably roll in your eyes thinking, whatever, running back, they have next man up, whatever the kid's name is behind him, who's been okay. I, his name is escaping me right now. I was watching a decent bit of it last night. But uh, he's Evans has been a real revelation for them. And I'm sure they would have the amount of success they've had running the ball to the tune of second in the SEC, and I think like 253 yards per game, if not for him. He's five foot 11, 220 pounds. He's a really, really kind of stocky, sturdy build. He's incredibly difficult to bring down off initial contact. And he's been really, really good for them. And if he's not able to play, if that report's actually true, I think that's going to be absolutely massive. Because uh, I was thinking of Jabari Small is exactly what I was thinking of at running back. He's gotten 44 touches this year, but clearly they favor Tyon Evans. He's gotten 73, and Evans has missed a game. So that's about as close to a kind of a, a bell cow back as you're going to see in the SEC these days, averaging 6.7 yards a carry. And if he's out, that's, that's massive news and certainly a good sign for Ole Miss, particularly with the vulnerable Tennessee offensive line. So anyway, I just wanted to offer a couple of Tennessee thoughts. Uh, again, just kind of piece together. Uh, some thoughts about this game. Cause again, I had a couple guests fall through. So I hope that wasn't a completely incoherent rant and maybe you uh, maybe use your brain a little bit and we'll kind of keep some of that in mind when you're watching on Saturday night. The second thing I wanted to get to, I guess today was what's been a weird week in media and for media. Um, and I'm not really even just talking about, the situation in Oxford with the you know, 247 side and kind of the fallout with everything that's happened with that. I really don't want to get into that. I don't think, one, it's any of my business, and I have friends that were affected by that, and this, it's really just not my place, and I don't think there's a ton of good to come out of me giving what I actually think about what happened and what's kind of the fallout been since. But I do think because of the uh, – not only that, but – other things that have happened this week uh, regarding media. Uh, really what's kind of what I've been thinking about is, uh, you know, you've seen this Washington football team, in, in, NFL investigating the Washington football team for their toxic culture kind of under the previous regime. Um, 
with owner Dan Snyder still there, but these emails from then GM Bruce Allen and team president, whatever the hell he was, are leaking out. It, you know, they got John Gruden fired, right? They, they uncovered some pretty, pretty awful stuff that John Gruden said in emails over a seven year period. And uh, that's not really my point. I'm not here to opine on whether or not John Gruden should have or should not have got him fired. It's just not really what you come here for on this podcast. But one of the other things that came out in those emails, and I think we're going to see more, and I think this is going to get messy in a lot more ways than just a couple of casualties so far, was ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter uh, was revealed to have sent an unpublished story to Bruce Allen in 2011, basically saying, tweak this, you know, kind of as you see fit. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth. It was basically like, let me know if there needs to be any edits. That's a national NFL insider reporter sending an unpublished story to a GM to kind of work on as he sees fit. And look, I, I'm not defending Schefter on this, but it was a story about the impending 2011 lockout. That's a complicated story with a lot of legal jargon and, you know, a lot of, you know, I want to make sure I have this right. Like, I mean, have you ever tried to understand the inner workings of professional sports league in terms of, you know, the collective bargaining agreement, and the salary cap, it, it's complicated. And is it Schefter's job to understand it? Sure. But does he want to be accurate and can it get really kind of complicated and, and, and dense, I guess it may be the thick. Yes, it can, but that's not, he kind of tried to defend it as that being a common practice. Look, I'm not, I think you guys know at this point, I am not a big J journalism ethics, wear my Badil Mizzou sweatshirt and just look like an asshole, like stickler. At, by any stretch. Um, in fact, I kind of laugh at that sometimes because, and what I'll get to in a minute is I think journalism is kind of dead in a sense in sports media, and I'm not sure how much existed. Point being, I'm not a stickler, but I know that's not a common practice. Uh, that is not sending a story to a source that has not been published. Now, if you want to send like part of what you've written and just like, I could understand if he sent part of it and just like, hey, do I have this detail right? Like, do I have, you know, is this correct? Is this date? Is this all of this correct? That makes a little more sense, but sending an unpublished story to a source and just saying edit this is not a common practice, no matter how much any sort of Northwestern Mizzou grad wants to tell you it is, it is completely not. And I think it's telling on a number of levels. And I guess the last example was, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Oklahoma student newspaper reporters this week watched from a public building, a closed practice uh, via binoculars and reported on who was taking the first team reps, Caleb Williams or the recently bench Spencer Rattler. Um, and I thought one, so they reported on it. Then they got quotes from Rattler's dad and ran with the story. Lincoln Riley, of course, lost his mind, canceled all media availability. That one, I guess, is a little more complicated, but I don't think it's unethical. Like it's, it's definitely lighter than anything that happened in Oxford and what Schefter did this week. Clearly, like I honestly think those two kids are kind of legends for it. So shout out to those two for uh, really doing some hard work and doing the groundwork. Uh, Cause I think the idea of closed practices, while I get it are kind of dumb uh, media watching your practices, at least part of them is decreases your odds to winning the national championship. Let me crunch the numbers here by 0%. It's just widespread paranoia in college athletics. Um, so, you know, you don't think the other team's preparing for both. Like Lincoln Riley thinks he's really at a disadvantage because the better five-star kid is actually taking more reps than Spencer Rattler. Hmm. Anyway, but that's kind of, there was a debate about that and the ethics of closed open practice. That's a little bit different one, but point being the media has been in the conversation a lot this week. And, you know, I think about media a lot, um, you know, being in it and now being kind of on the outside of it and doing this part-time and for fun and not really having to endure 
a lot of the crappy parts of the industry, I should say, you know, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. I've been given an incredible opportunity by Chase and Neil at Rebel Grove and Rivals. I've, I really, in a way I was describing it to someone the other night was like, I really love doing, every time I do a podcast, I am having a ton of fun with it. I enjoy hopping on the microphone and talking to Colin or Weldon or Bracken or whomever it may be. Every time I write a newsletter or write like a feature story, I really enjoy the hell out of it because it's exactly what I want to be doing when I want to do it. And I was fortunate enough to work at a couple of places that, you know, gave me some pretty good creative freedom. But at the same time, like that 11 a.m. game against UT Martin has to be covered and there has to be game stories written and the practice availability and practice reports. Like there's just a lot of mundane stuff that comes with the industry that it's just I don't know. It, there's good and bad parts of it. And I feel like I'm kind of only reaping the good parts of it being part-time where I am. And point being, I'm very blessed and very fortunate. I've, I've really enjoyed the spot. I've enjoyed growing this podcast. I've enjoyed kind of interacting with the Rebel Grove audience and getting a larger platform. And I'm eternally grateful for that. That's not really the point of this. What I'm getting at is I've seen both sides of it. I've been in it full-time, uh, you know, radio, print, kind of you name it. And now I'm kind of out of it and looking at it on the other side. And People are kind of up in arms about, you know, journalism ethics, and that's been a hot topic this week. And what I would tell you is, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, feel free to agree, disagree. I'm sure some people will. Some people will agree with parts of it. But I just think overall, journalism itself is largely dead. And I, I want to be careful with how I phrase that because I'm not a crap on the media guy. Um, I'm very much a firm believer that one of the best things you can do to support your community is to subscribe to your local newspaper because most of you don't live in big cities. And what has happened to mid-sized newspapers in this country by the greed of large chain corporations, and I don't get, don't mistake me for some sort of socialist by saying that, I don't think chain a chains like Gannett owning newspapers is healthy for journalism or healthy for individual newspapers is all I'm getting at by that. Like them, like news, mid-sized newspapers getting slashed is so the execs on a board uh, you know, don't have to re on the board at Gannett, don't have to refinance their boat. It's not literally because like the company is hemorrhaging money. It, it's, it's kind of the misconception there to some degree. But point being, the mid-sized newspaper has been gutted in this country. And I'm a, absolutely a firm believer in subscribing your local newspaper. I mean, how look at the Clarion Ledger staff. It's a Gannett newspaper. And what, they probably have five people in their news and politics department from the reporter side to cover a city of like 300,000 people. It's just asinine. And I think cities suffer because of that. Look, I know it's corny to say like democracy dies in darkness, but I think you need people keeping you informed and pressing local officials. And that is to me is real journalism. The you know, local newspaper guy, whether it's big or small, you know, covering city hall meetings and and pressing politicians and really trying to dig up stories, that to me is is real journalism. So I, I want to be careful with how I say that. I don't think it's completely dead. I think just think it's less practice than it used to be. And because real journalism costs money. And I think you're seeing that as people don't necessarily want to pay for newspapers and pay for real journalism, real journalism has in result been practiced less. And so I think it's being practiced there. I think the investigative work that, you know, for all ESPN's flaws and they're going away from it, unfortunately, the investigative work they did with outside the lines and some of their longer form reporters, you know, the Michigan state stuff, Baylor, what have you, that's real journalism. That takes time that takes a certain element of bravery. That is real, real reporting and good journalism. But what you're seeing largely now, whether it's table, cable television with Fox or CNN or 
really it started with sports. If you, if you kind of look for after the 2016 election, these cable news networks, and they've been doing it before, really kind of followed the first take, hot take sports culture model of I'm going to be allowed as boisterous as possible. I'm going to rile you the hell up because I'm going to say something that triggers your emotions and you're going to watch more of me, even if you hate it. And so that kind of started with sports media. And I really, truly believe that in large part, sports media uh, really doesn't practice journalism anymore. And again, there comes with shades of gray. If you want to tell me the baseball reporter in a major city, my buddy Chandler Rome, who covers the Astros, does a fantastic job. Uh, really kind of owns that beat. And there's more like him, but I think it's a rarity. If you want to call that journalism, I would agree. They do great work. They do great newspaper work. He's a completely unbiased reporter. He knows how to work a clubhouse. That is real, in my opinion, sports journalism. To me, that has kind of gone by the wayside. I think that is much more rarely practiced than content creators and takesmen out there you know the takesmen that just kind of fire their gun and just see if something sticks you see it on first the worst version of it like what i mean by content creators the worst version of it is what you see with Stephen a smith and skip bayless on first take and undisputed or whatever the hell fox is calling that show now that to me is the worst version of it the best version of it is the hundreds if not thousands of writers reporters podcasters across the country radio guys that are thought-provoking guys that work their ass off to create content for you. Um, I, I would argue that this, this, the website this podcast is affiliated with are two of the best in the industry at doing it. Or you know, I'll throw Zach Berry in there too. I didn't mean to exclude him. And I'm not just saying that because they pay me too and I, I like Chase and Neil. They really are. You, I mean, Rebel Grove is, you know, that's well worth the price of subscription. They're very fortunate to have them. They do incredible work. They're creative in how they do, you know, give you content on different mediums, whether it's the podcast or hand raised guys in the video element, they are great at creating content and they practice, they they're all over the old misbeat as well. I don't, I don't mean to say that like Chase and Neil don't necessarily practice journalism in some facets. Like Neil's is about as plugged in as you'll find uh, not only in the old misbeat, but really anywhere on a college beat in the modern day and age of restricted access. Um, so I don't mean to mean that they're just strictly content creators and they're not, you know, plugged in and doing real reporting. They absolutely do that. I guess what I'm just trying to get at is largely true journalism is dying. And so we keep getting shocked that we don't like how the sausage is made, whether it was Dan Wilkins sending a smiley face uh, to John Curry a couple of years ago saying he'll help with the PR of the Shiano hire, which is there at least self-aware group of people than sports writers out there. Dan Wilkins is chastising Adam Schefter, uh, you know, three years removed from Dan Wilkins being exposed as a total fraud. I mean, call a spade a spade here. I, I, to me, at times, there's not a least less self-aware group of people in this country than sports writers. I know I'm making sweeping generalizations and I hate doing that, but whatever. It's true and it's kind of funny. Point being, I just think the way this industry shifting and the way this is going is you're seeing a lot more content creators and a lot less journalism being practiced. And I'm not even necessarily sure that's a bad thing, because if you can do reporting and you can have you know, guys that are plugged in and you know, giving actual analysis and have good sourcing. I don't think the days of good sourcing are over. I just think the true kind of ethics by the book journalism days are kind of going by the wayside. I think Rebel Grove honestly has the perfect kind of mix of what modern reporting and modern, you know, covering a program in an outlet as an online outlet should look like. They're very plugged in and they're very creative with how they do different forms of content. But I think it's more moving, moving more towards models like that. And yes, does this industry have tons of hacks? Sure. It does. There's, you know, 
for every guy like Jason Neal that and that does good content, there's just a complete and total buffoon out there who doesn't know what he's doing, but you're wondering how the hell he got that job. Anyway, I don't mean to make this rambling or belabor the point. What I'm trying to get at is the before the next time you get up in arms about not liking how the sausage is made, whether it's a Schefter thing or the Wolken thing or, you know, conflicts of interest and not being true journalism. I just think that's rarer and rarer because we're not we're not saving lives here. We're not uncovering scandals. We're, we're covering sports and we're going to games and offering analysis on things like it's far less serious. And so what I would tell you is in this day and age of where there's so much stuff out there, where it's not just newspapers anymore and there's so much stuff, there's content creators, find what you like and pay those people that do it. And please don't confuse this as a money cry because it's kind of ironic because everything I do is free. But I, I just I think we're getting to this point where if you like what a certain person does, pay them and support them because it costs them money to do it. And if you think they're doing a good job, I promise you they can use your support to keep it going because this industry is like not yet figured out kind of how to consistently make money. There's not a uniform model to make money at this anymore. And, you know, you're seeing more and more people and guys as they're losing jobs at legacy media, outlets go out on their own. And I think that's a good thing if they can support themselves. But I guess that's what I'm kind of get at. There's all kinds of flavors of ice cream out there. Uh, there's lots of guys creating content with all kinds of opinions and analysis. And if, if you find someone that you like or a website that you like or a couple people that you like, pay for it. Because and that let that be the way you consume your news, because one, it's worth it. And two, it does cost money to do this stuff. I, my One of my least favorite arguments is I've kind of dumped on media here is the free content guy was behind a paywall. Why do I have to pay for this? Well, do you go to work every day and work for free? No, it's, it's the same thing. And, you know, I think this industry did itself a real disservice in the day and age of clickbait, uh, you know, kind of when they fi couldn't figure out how to make money um, at the early stages of the internet, newspapers were scrambling and everything became free because you wanted as many clicks as possible. And you realized that wasn't sustainable. Like clickbait is not really sustainable, um, you know, long-term if you want quality work. And so, I'm very anti, why do I have to pay for this guy? I'm just encouraging you. Like, I think that's stupid. I think, you know, you should pay for any product. I guess what I'm encouraging is to stop getting up in arms about, you know, the way things are practiced and just find people you like who give thought-provoking analysis that you like and support them. I think that's the way this industry is going as a whole. And uh, again, I, I think in the end, if people kind of do that and the consumer does that, the guys that suck at this and the guys that don't do things the right way are going to be weeded out because no one is going to pay for what they do, if that is practice. So that's my media rant for the week. That's my media spiel. I hope that was not terribly boring and uh, at least somewhat thought-provoking and interesting, but I just want to give my thoughts on that for the week. Let's get to Greg and then let's close the podcast. All right, we now welcome on... Greg, the Meat Sharp Jones. This is another edition of Fresh Cut, sponsored by both LBs and Skybox. We got the Skybox picks ready to roll along for the ride this week. I was actually prepared uh, to, to, to do my podcasting duties this week, so we got their picks. We're, uh, we'll hit probably take a little moment to rehash some last week's stuff. Another big slate in the NFL. I believe bye weeks have begun in the National Football League starting this week. I know the Atlanta Falcons are on a bye after the London game. So fewer games, but some good ones and uh, an interesting college slate, of course, with the marquee game being the Ole Miss Rebels headed to Knoxville, at least for the sake of this podcast. But we'll get into it all. What's up, man? Oh, I was always uh, ready for this weekend. And, uh, you know, man, 
the, the, the Rebels pulled it out. And, and you know, I think that it's going to be in the same situation that if uh, whoever stops himself is going to win this weekend against uh, Tennessee and Ole Miss. I think you're exactly right on that. If you kind of, kind of get the defense to, you know, get a couple stops a half or, you know, have someone shoot themselves in the foot, I think you're uh, I think you're dead on there. It's going to be a fascinating one. We'll get into that a little bit more as we kind of pick that game. Uh, obviously, we'll go with all the SEC games, uh, a couple more random ones that I had that I threw at Skybox, and, of course, we'll roll through all the NFL games. Before we take a look at last week, what's happening, what's going on at the store, uh, road weekend, obviously, after – I guess there was a bye week mixed in. Ole Miss is off for two weeks. But you had a couple home games in a row, bye, Alabama. Big weekend last weekend. I was in Oxford. Uh, Ole Miss gets a really exciting win, 52-51. to 51. What, uh, what's it been like at the store? What you got going on this weekend? Yeah, we actually had a really good weekend last weekend. And then uh, I got a text message uh, on Sunday at 4.30 that we had officially sold out of all our steaks. So, um, you know, that's always a good text there message we go. to get. That, yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's just so hard to, you know, not over – order or under order and you just want to make sure you sell out of everything on stuff like that but uh we had a great weekend and uh we're, we're expecting a good weekend this weekend you know it's hard to travel up to knoxville and uh just look at all that orange that's a lot of orange to look at if you want to go if you're an old miss fan to travel up to knoxville and w- watch a sellout crowd for the first time in what seven years or ten years yeah, it's uh, they've been checkering out Neyland, checkering out Neyland for the first time in four years. So, congratulations! Uh, <laughs> Have uh, you seen that interview <laughs> floating around the internet? Someone pulled it up and was like, Never forget. And it was some interview that was clearly from like the mid 2000s, but it was some kid who was talking about how much he hates Tennessee, where he's like, They cheaters, they get down and dirty, like. That orange remind me of pumpkin. I don't like pumpkins. You know what I'm talking about? I had never seen it before, but everyone acted like it was some sort of famous uh, interview video. If I find it later in the show, this is terrible podcasting, but I, I don't find a lot of that like corny video stuff on Twitter funny. I was dying at this. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? Uh, I think uh, – didn't Arkansas Barstool uh, tweet at, our, at Lane Kiffin and saying – Where's the uh, the play to uh, practice where the uh, defensive lineman pretends to be hurt? I did see that. Ole Miss had uh, – we'll, we'll call them tempo cramps. Uh, they had a lot of cramps to uh, slow down Arkansas trying to go tempo. On hey, them. look, if, 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 I mean, I, I hate to say it, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I mean, like, I, I would think that uh, uh, what's uh, – what Sam Vault's um, – no, it's not Sam Vault. It, with the Friday Night Lights character where he's like, you know, you, you're not you're not, you're not not cheating, you ain't trying, you know, that sort of thing. Is that Buddy Garrity? Is this the TV Buddy show? Buddy Garrity, movie? yeah. Yeah, there that, we that, go. Uh, actually, Buddy Garrity moved to Greenville, Mississippi, and he's uh, in charge of Greenville Christian and uh, making sure uh, they have a, a super team down there. Uh, so, yeah. Buddy you had Garrett. me for a second. I was like, wait a minute. What now? <laughs> I was, dude, Garrett. that the hell of a story, dude. They're kicking everyone's ass. They beat Oak Grove earlier in the year. It's kind of a cool story. So I think that – I don't know if they uh, – they've lost one game. I know they beat MRA by like 
thirty. They beat Prep by like forty. Um, I think they beat Oak Grove by like twenty. I'm just gonna but, assume uh, they got my mighty Raiders down at JA. Uh, if they got yeah, I don't think prep. I don't think I don't think the Raiders cut, made the cut on that. So uh, so I think Buddy Garrity is doing really good in Greenville, Mississippi. That's for sure. That's good. That is a. <laughs> That is good. So we are uh, that's looking. So anything uh, crazy going on at the store before we get to last week's picks, though? Uh, I've always asked you this in like dumber ways, but do you do like limited time stuff? Like, what's the rotation? Is there anything in style that's not uh, not like I guess always there? Anything special going on? Yeah. So like, what we're trying to do is, you know, we have the certain like standards that we always do: Swayze sausage. Uh, flying pig sausage, both of the ribeye sausage, the spicy and the regular. We rotate out the either the harvest apple, which is uh, brown uh, brown sugar, cinnamon, and harvest apple and uh, Granny Smith apples with the blue dream, which is the exact same thing, but cane maple syrup and Mississippi farm raised blueberries. So like it's either a blueberry sausage or the apple sausage. So we're actually trying to uh, come up with some new sausages, maybe like a sausage of the week. We're going to try to do a chili sausage, Ooh. which is like a, an all beef sausage with some bacon and some like kidney beans and some pinto beans and some uh, uh, some chili seasoning to where it's very similar to the ribeye sausage, but it has that chili flavor. And then we're trying to do that. Uh, we're, we're working on the turducken sausage. So turducken is like kind of a Thanksgiving thing to where it's like turkey, duck, chicken, and uh, just kind of like a traditional thing. So we're going to try to put some cranberries in that sausage. So we're going to try to like do it like a Thanksgiving style uh turkey sausage so man i mean you know it's it's cool whenever you get to like handle the your product and you can order the product and like make your own product i just got done doing the uh smoky bacon cheeseburgers you know some ground wagyu with a double smoked bacon and then you do that pepper jack cheese and man it's such a great burger so uh it's kind of cool you know working at lbs and getting to do you know particular things and you know, uh, getting being hands on and trying to do like that harvest apple sausage or that uh, that that blue dream sausage with those uh, fresh M- M- Mississippi blueberries. No doubt, that sounds delicious. I just got hungry <laughs> looking at it, and now this grilled cheese that I made does not look very good. So, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, the next time I'm rolling in there, I'm going to, you keep talking about the smoky bacon cheeseburger and I just never think to get it. So that will be on the agenda the next time I roll into LB's without a shadow of a doubt, or I could forget just like I do every time, but I'm, uh, I'm confident in my abilities to get it that time. Last week we went, let's see, it was a tough week in college. Uh, none tougher than me. I went three and seven, one and zero oh in the locks. You went four and six. Yep. One and zero in the locks. Or both of our locks were Kentucky, and honest to God, oh, yeah. uh, we're not very yeah. good at this, and so nothing Kentucky, has actually come Kentucky. easy. But that's about as easy as they come, right? LSU. Oh yeah, people. man. It, like like I said, if you weren't in Lexington, Kentucky last weekend, watch the horses run at Keeneland in the afternoon, and then go watch uh, Kentucky football team win by 
three touchdowns against LSU. I mean, that was a good weekend to be in Lexington. Uh, yes, absolutely it was. And then Skybox goes six and four. So congrats to the math and the nerds. They won out again. Uh, we'll get them next time. There's no way a robot's going to outsell me, said Dwight Schrute. And I, uh, I, I'm going to take that same attitude rolling in to this week of picks. The NFL actually was a little bit better for us. So as you guys will remember, Skybox doesn't do the NFL because, you know, they have to like sell picks and make money and stuff. So they don't roll with us. I say they don't do the NFL. They absolutely do the NFL. They do not offer them out for free like me and Greg do. You went eight, seven and one and I was 10, five and one. So that's actually pretty solid week on locks. You were I forgot to add up the locks. You were three and one. So you only locked four. I was no sorry. Three, one and one. We pushed the Packers. We got it at three. Uh, it ended at two and a half, which kind of stinks for us. Um, I was same thing, three, one, and one. So we did pretty well. That was a pretty good NFL week for us after a, a rough couple. And last week was particularly brutal. Um, some pretty tough beats across the board. We had Texas, and they were pretty much seemingly winning that whole game, covering for most of it, and don't end up covering. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. We got lucky with the LA Chargers. Did you see what happened in the Chargers Browns game last week? The oh yeah, very rare I, towards I cannot, the end of the game. I cannot believe they pulled Spencer Rattler. I mean, like he was he was our he was our uh, the the golden ticket on L, on Texas covering for us, and uh, he got pulled, and and we didn't get to cover. Uh, and he's uh, he's done. That Caleb Williams kid looks really good. Uh, did shout out to the student reporters in Oklahoma. I don't know if you were following this story. They went and watched a closed practice from a public building on campus with binoculars, then got quotes from Spencer Rattler's father and wrote that Caleb Williams, the backup, was taking the majority of the reps. That, of course, infuriated Lincoln Riley. He shut down all of media availability for the rest of the week. Um, in a, what's been a weird week for media and a weird week for journalism um, about ethics and such. I'm not even really just talking about the situation in Oxford, which I don't really want to get into. I'm friends, not really my business uh, on, on in, involved with that. I won't say both sides because that's not really true, but involved with that. But in what's a weird week for journalism, the two student reporters just kicking ass. What a bunch of legends. I think that's an awesome move. Uh, so I heard some people saying it's complicated when it comes to journalism ethics. And as a uh, Big J Medill grad, uh, I can say, uh, go, you can kiss my ass. I think that is absolutely an awesome move. So I am all for that. Did you yeah. see this story? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you get my Snapchat with uh, Gruden running in the sixth race at uh, Keeneland today? Oh no! Wait a minute. So what, what was it? so I opened I opened one at work. I still have two unopened. What's going on? Uh, so uh, there's a horse named Gruden oh. uh, that uh, that ran in a in a race at Kingland. So I assume that he got fired after the race. You know, uh, yeah, it's been a tough week for Gruden's. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was just literally because uh, it's actually my friend uh, Jeff Loom that owns the horse and. Uh, they actually named the horse Gruden. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I guess that Jeff didn't realize that the uh, NFL was going to investigate 650,000 emails from uh, 2000, whatever year it was, to 2011. And uh, just happened to be uh, John Gruden uh, comes out with the, on the bat, bat end of the, the, the stick. So, uh, I just thought that was funny that the, uh, that he named the horse Gruden and uh, everything came out this this week about Gruden. 
I don't think the war path from those Washington football team investigation emails are over with either. I, did you see Adam Schefter? Uh, so Bruce Allen, the general manager there at the time, his emails are getting, uh, I guess, well, investigated. So they have all, and they're getting slowly leaked. One of them included Adam Schefter sending uh, Bruce Allen an unpublished story, basically being like, hey, anything you want to change, change it. Like, they, thanks for editing. And uh, that's not really an ethical journalism practice. So uh, weird, weird week for the media. But uh, we prevailed in the NFL. And let's get to what should be a pretty awesome slate of college games this week. So the way we do this to explain the rules to everybody off the bat, we will um, pick all the SEC games. And then I have a couple random ones that I just find interesting throughout the country that we will do. So I send them to Skybox. They're along for the ride with this. Are you ready to rock and roll in these? I'm ready. Are you, are, are you still okay with uh, Iowa being favored and storming the, the field after that win? Look, I so I don't really get wrapped up in all that type of stuff. Like part of the fun and stupidity of college football is people doing absurd things like that. Like that's kind of what you don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the NFL. I like it better than college, but I can appreciate the pageantry and kind of the emotion of college football. And so you just don't get stuff like that really in any other sport. So I'm all for doing whatever the drunk students in the stands want to do. And by God, well, within reason, you know, don't break the I mean, I just think, I I mean, you know, like I I read a couple tweets that, you know, they were, uh, you know, kind of shaming Iowa for, you know, storm. Look, you know, sports unite people. And, uh, you know, the, the everything in general hasn't been on a united front and everything like that. So uh, whenever I see, you know, Iowa, you know, coming back because, you know, they were kind of, uh, you know, in a rock and a hard place. They were down by 10 and, uh, you know, end up coming back and winning that game. So, I mean, I'm all about it. You, you know, I just think it's great that, you know, uh, you can go to a football game and uh, cheer your team on and, uh, and, and win and, cheer and, and storm, the, storm the field. I like it. I'm the same boat. Again, do whatever you want to do. Uh, that's kind of, uh, I kind of like the mob. I'm not a big like internet mob guy, but I do enjoy the mob mentality of just, you know, the storming the field has to start with someone. So, or some groups of dudes or guys or girls, whatever the case may be. There's a group of drunk college students. Every time a field gets stormed, that's just like, you know what to hell with it. This field's about to become ours and everyone's follow suit. So I am all for what the drunken mob would like to do after a game, because like, I mean, where else are you going to get that on earth? I get college hoops does it sometimes. Like, other than college athletics, where do you get that? If you dropped an alien in the middle of the Alabama-Auburn kick six after that happened or the Iowa one, they'd be like, what the hell is wrong with these people and why they smell like booze? Like, they wouldn't know what's going on, and I'm all for it. I think it's awesome. So, yeah, you could storm the field if you're up, if you're a 15-point favorite. I don't care. I think it's funny. Yeah, I think it's good. Like I said, it's just good for sports and – uh you know, just just shows how much passion is is involved with the sport and everything like that. And you know, I get that Iowa was favored and they were uh, a higher seed, but like it's the little things that uh, make the world go wrong. So we got starting off. I want to we'll start with the SEC games. I'll do Ole Miss last, just because kind of way we always do it. We're going to start off with kind of a gross one. We have LSU hosting Florida. This is an 11 a.m. game, which the fact that LSU Florida is an 11 a.m. game in Tiger Stadium. Uh, kind of tells you everything you need to know about where LSU has fallen, in my opinion. 
Um, I think they, I mean, they got out physical last week. Brody Miller, I know I mentioned this on the Sunday show for those of you guys that kind of are regulars on around here, but Brody Miller, my friend, covers them for the athletic, wrote a great column. And kind of the point was like, the reason this is different is because this was just kind of confirming the reality. I think even though it was a three point line, like a lot of people thought Kentucky was going to kick LSU's ass. And that's exactly what happened. And they out physical them. And LSU kind of looked like they didn't really want to be there. They've had a couple more catastrophic injuries. Kayshawn Butte is out. That corner whose name is escaping me is out for the season. This doesn't, this seems off. I guess you can make the case for a rally the troops game. It's LSU plus 12. And I'll just go ahead and th- uh, fire the first bullet here. I'm all over Florida minus 12. Yeah, I think the uh, cornerback just literally uh, fired the bullet. It says like he's done for play, playing for LSU. Uh, I think that's how that worked out. Uh, he's not done for the season health reason. He just, he's done for playing for LSU and just getting properly ready for the NFL draft. Interesting. I mean, I think that's what Neil said. I'm not 100%. Like, he just said that, like, he was done playing, you know, and, like, it wasn't a physical or whatnot issue. I might be completely wrong. I might have uh, misinterpreted the the tweet. But, um, you know, I just – I wish that I could have tweeted at – uh, head coach Ed Ogeron and said, hey, I heard you walk back from Lexington to Baton Rouge. And then he would have tweeted at me and said, hey, um, I did not actually flew back. And then I just could reply back and said, I heard from a third party that you uh, actually walked back, but you didn't. So uh, I, I, I just think that Ed Ogeron's uh, – it, it, it's, it's time for him to go, and uh, obviously LSU is going to be paying Eddo's run for a long time. And with that being said, I can't see why Florida doesn't roll them up by three to four touchdowns here. Uh, Skybox, let's see where they're going on this. Skybox is actually going LSU. That is fascinating. That strikes me as one of those games where the whole world is probably going to go on Florida, and the guys that do this for a living are going to be on LSU. Uh, I, okay, c- take my money. I just don't really see that. Um, but obviously those guys, I'm not doubting Skybox. They know better than I do. I am, uh, I agree. I'm just not buying that. I I can't in good faith. And maybe that's why we're squares and not sharps. Right. Uh, but I just could not in good faith put uh, my whole cold, hard earned cash on LSU in this situation. I just couldn't do it. So it's either a stay away or Florida for me, I guess on that one. We'll go to, Auburn, Arkansas next. I want to make sure I have this line completely updated, uh, the most updated version of it. So I am scrolling right now and really just procrastinating on the podcast. This is absolutely wonderful podcasting. Because No, they love you for this. There we go. Right, we got the half. updated line. Arkansas, back in Fayetteville after really three weeks in a row on the road, because if you think about it, the A&M game is in Dallas. They will be back in Fayetteville, I suppose, for the first time since – they may have had a game in between Texas. I don't know. I don't feel like pulling up their schedule. They're playing Auburn. They're minus four and a half on home against the Auburn Tigers, who are coming off a tough loss against Georgia. Anyone who plays Georgia is going to come off a tough loss against them the next week. That defense is just absolutely unbelievable. Auburn couldn't really do much. That game really went exactly how I thought. We both picked Auburn. Um, just kind of thought, okay, maybe 16 points is a lot. Maybe the Auburn defense hangs in there. And it honestly kind of went the way I thought it was. What did that game finish? 34 to 10 
And if yep. it had been like, you know, 27, 10, we'd have got, I think we got it at 18, if I'm not mistaken. So like whatever the last score got us, but it played out just like I thought. Um, I'm actually going to lock this as my one college lock. I was came away very impressed with Arkansas last week. I know it was the Ole Miss defense, but I think KJ Jefferson's good. I think when he's healthy, he's a great runner and he's, Seems to be getting better as a thrower. He wasn't fantastic last week by any stretch. Missed that huge touchdown pass in the third quarter that allowed Ole Miss to hold to a field goal to tie the game at 24. But I thought he was really impressive. I'm locking this. Uh, I think Arkansas is tougher. I think the defenses are comparable. And give me the Arkansas offense all day over Bo Nix on the road. Uh, I'm locking Arkansas minus four and a half. I'm going I'm to have to agree with you. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it was a – a Twitter video that was posted where it was literally like right after the last play and they kind of focused the camera in on KJ Jefferson. And, you know, like that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. You know, you play a really good game and KJ Jefferson played an awesome game. And uh, it just sucks that, you know, somebody wins and somebody loses and uh, that's how the game goes. But uh, mad respect to KJ Jefferson. Uh, He's a gamer. Uh, I just think that, you know, maybe that two-point conversion wasn't the correct play. I'm not going to say that, you know, it was the right or the wrong play. I'm glad they ran that play because it wasn't the right play and Ole Miss won the game. But uh, I like K.J. Jefferson a lot as a player, and uh, I think he's got a future. I really do. And, like, uh, he tightens up a couple, uh, you know, passes down the middle and everything. He's got the athleticism, and he's got the frame. So I'm going to lock it up with you. I, I, I like Arkansas a lot this week. Absolutely. And let's see where Skybox is going on this. Skybox is with us. They're on Arkansas as well. The next one, it might actually kind of shock you here. We'll go to Missouri and Texas A&M. Texas A&M coming off an absolutely monstrous win over Alabama that really kind of – opened up the West per se. I still think Georgia's the best team in the country, but I mean, look, I don't think Alabama's going to lose again. They've got uh, Mississippi state on the road and then they're home for four in a row with a non-conference, then like Tennessee, Arkansas and someone else. And then they, Oh, LSU. And then they have like the iron bowl. So like not a whole lot of resistance there left, but hell let them screw up again and lose and kind of see where that takes them with regard to Ole Miss and Auburn and or not Auburn, but um, Ole Miss and uh, Mississippi State, honestly, for that matter, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm just saying, like, let them screw up and lose again. I'd like to see where that uh, where that goes. A&M would be back in the mix at that point. They are minus nine and a half on the road at Missouri. Uh, this smells like a trap game. I To me, this is stay away central, so I wouldn't ever actually play this, but – I can't believe I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to go Missouri plus nine and a half. This screams classic letdown game. Look, Zach Calzada played the game of his life. If you watch what he did in the Arkansas game versus Alabama, you would have to be like, I would think I'm on drugs. If someone like, if I didn't know any better and someone's like, that's the same quarterback. I'd be like, no, you're not like you're high. There's no way. I, I it was, it was that big stark of a difference to me. Um, but with that said, this does not smell like a letdown game to you. This I, I don't think Missouri's good. I think Missouri can score points. I think Missouri's defense is absolutely horrendous. Maybe I'm an idiot for this, but I think I'm going to go Missouri plus nine. I think AM wins the game, but I think it's kind of sloppy. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I actually uh, like the points in this situation. I mean, you know, uh, this is how I feel about the uh, the whole uh, 
get up to play for Alabama versus get up to play for Missouri, get up to play for Mississippi State, or get up to play for uh, Arkansas. You know, like, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher is going to stress to a player that says, hey, this is who you want to beat is the Alabama. But, like, for me, I think that they, they should want to win every single game and dominate every single game. So whenever you lose to an Arkansas, whenever you lose to Mississippi State, and then you turn around like, oh, we're going to get hyped for this game and we're going to beat Alabama. Well, you've already buried yourself whenever you lose to Mississippi State and you lose to Arkansas. So it doesn't matter if you do beat a number one in the country, Alabama. I just think that, uh, you know, they, it was a uh, the moon and the stars were aligned and uh, they had a backup quarterback at Texas A&M. And, you know, that last throw that he played, uh, that he threw to tie the game up, perfect throw. You know, the, the perfect coverage. Uh, everything was – the stars and moon were aligned, and, uh, you know, they tie up the game and uh, end up winning the game. I just think that, um, you know, that's a, a big game to come off of and cover a double-digit spread. So, you know, I can see Missouri sneaking in there and uh, losing by a field goal. If not, you know, winning this game. So, uh, it's just hard to play in the SEC, and uh, with that being said, I like Missouri too. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if they don't throw up on themselves and lose that home game to State, they're actually in the driver's seat to win the SEC West because they're going to get Haynes King back at some point. I don't know how good Haynes King actually is, but I know he's better than Zach Calzada. Maybe they stick with Calzada because he beat Alabama. I would seriously doubt it, given uh, particularly if he struggles this week and there's some sort of regression to the mean. So really, really costly loss to State there. I think they're going to look back in the bowels of history and really kind of kick themselves for that. Um, when you look back on that season, let's see where Skybox is on this one. Skybox is on Missouri as well. So maybe we, maybe we know what we're talking about. Maybe we're on to something here. Skybox is on Missouri as well. We're really getting off in the weeds early in this podcast. It is uh, all three of us are on Missouri plus nine and a half, uh, two weeks removed from Missouri, giving up 62 to uh, 62 to uh, Tennessee, and they gave up 35 to a North Texas squad who on last week's podcast, I read their win-loss record and who they'd beaten and who they hadn't, and let's just say it wasn't pretty. So, uh, yeah, good luck to all of us on that one. Let's roll over to Kentucky, Georgia for our next one uh, this week, and that is 6-0 Kentucky going to Athens to play – of course, Georgia, I'm trying to figure out what the line is on this one. Uh, Vegas is not fun. giving Georgia much of it. Uh, excuse me, Kentucky much of a chance here. Uh, but look, man, 6-0, 6-0, they've got a good roster. Um, but, again, Georgia just has one of the most elite defenses in college football, really of the last decade. I, if you want to compare it side-by-side side with those two Alabama and LSU defenses in 2011, I think it's up there. You can make an argument it's maybe better. It is Georgia minus 22 in Athens. Man, I mean, you know, like you hate that uh, a team like Kentucky that has like played every game super hard. Uh, they played it on their terms, you know, like that Florida game that was right up their alley. It was a uh, what was it, a 13 to 10 game and uh, they blocked the, the field goal, returned it to go up 17 to 13. Um, you know, just George is on another level. Uh, I, I would love to not think that a high-end Georgia team is better than like a one-step-below-tier East 
SEC team in, in Kentucky and they're 22 some odd points. I, I just, I like Kentucky. I just, I think that uh, they play the game. It's almost kind of, they're almost kind of remind me of an Iowa. You know, they try not to make mistakes. They run the ball. They try to play defense. They get down they in try- the weeds. They're not going to beat anyone up. Like, they're, I mean, they did against LSU last week, but like when they're playing good teams, they're going to get off in the mud. It's not going to always look pretty. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, having 20 some odd points in a, uh, in a big game like this is uh, hopefully uh, beneficial, but I can easily see this being 42 to 10, you know. But with that being said, I just like Kentucky. I, I think that. You know, it's a good club that, you know, uh, they're coached properly. They play hard. And, uh, you know, I just like to, uh, to you know, spend my money on, you know, teams that, you know, do the right things. And uh, if they don't do the right things, they don't cover. But I, I just like Kentucky here. I'm really – this is a bet if you do it is banking on Kentucky's defense because I'm honestly trying to make a case, like, for them to score a touchdown. Like, maybe they get a scheme touchdown, but how – I mean, you can count on one hand how many touchdowns Georgia's allowed this year on offense. And so, it's tough because if Georgia scores 28 points, I'm it's not over. sure how Kentucky uh, – not how Kentucky covers the 22-point line. With that said, though, I'll buy into the 6-0. and I'll buy into Stoops and – Whomever's their offensive coordinator, whose name escaping me, Levis maybe kind of gets a busted coverage and they score one real quick. But I do kind of believe well, in Kentucky's blue defense. Color. I think they're good and I think they're physical. So yeah, they're I'll blue, go Kentucky blue. plus twenty two. Whatever, I'll keep losing money on them. Yeah, I mean I, they're just a blue Against collar Georgia, team. Yeah, I mean they're just a blue collar team. You know they're not going to give up on you. Uh, obviously, you know you would think uh, somebody that's uh, a twenty two point underdog is somebody somebody out of their league but uh you know they're not going to give up on you and they're, they're going to grind and uh you know just you got to weather that first half storm I mean if it's a 21 to 7 ball game at halftime I, I think you got a shot you know and uh but if it's a 35 to 7 ball game then you, you might be be worried about it but I just like Kentucky I think that um you know they work hard they grind and uh I think 22 points is a lot of points to, to, to not take. Skybox is on the Kentucky Wildcats as well. So we've all taken three pretty gross underdogs in the last two picks. I really have no idea what that tells you. I promise you I'm not looking at Skybox's picks beforehand. I have them up on a separate screen that I click on and off uh, before and after we pick each game on like a little slideshow type deal. Um, yeah, this is this, – I don't know what to think about that. All three of them are on uh, – all three of us are on Kentucky. I, I don't know. I, I think that's a dumb bet, but whatever. I'll just bank on six and zero being twenty, not like better than twenty two points underdog to Georgia. No matter how good that defense is, Georgia's not healthy on defense, and it hasn't mattered. That's the scary part. When they they're down, what at least one corner and a safety, if I'm not mistaken. When they get healthy and they get some guys back, that I, I mean, how in the world are you going to score on them then? So I don't know. That's going to be kind of a fascinating one to watch. Uh, or maybe it's not, and our bets are stupid. But anyway, we'll go. We're all three going Kentucky there. What's uh, we got a couple more SEC games to get to? Oh, uh, Mississippi State, Alabama, Alabama minus seventeen uh, on the road. We kind of locked. We didn't lock Alabama. We thought it was easy money that Alabama would go on the road and kick the hell out of A and M last week. That of course did not happen. They didn't cover an eighteen point spread. Do you like them minus 17 against Mississippi State, or do you think State gives them a game? Alabama showed some real defensive flaws last week. Um, the linebackers didn't play particularly well. There were some questions in the 
secondary. Uh, Calzada played well, but he's he's not that good. And uh, for Bryce Young, he kind of shows a calm, unflappable nature, a little similar to Crowell about him, and it's impressive as a freshman. But he also seemingly proved that he couldn't carry a team and win the game on its back when Alabama couldn't run the ball with a ton of success. So I don't know if Alabama's human or if that was just a perfect game played by AM. It was certainly a well-called game. Um, but what do you think of this? I'll let you go first. I really have no feel for this because State's coming off a win in College Station. But that kind of – I don't know how much that changed my opinion of them. What do you think? Well, I mean, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I've never been a five-star athlete uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, I would, I would think that it would be awesome to be a five-star athlete, but whenever, uh, I, I get the, the keys to my charger taken away and I have to walk to class and walk to practice and, uh, uh, get, get, uh, run a lot in practice. I don't think I'm, uh, really excited about, uh, about being a, uh, an, an Alabama football player. I think that they, they practice. I mean, I just feel bad for whoever plays Alabama after they get uh, that beat, you know. So, I just see Alabama rolling through it. I mean, you know, I just I, – I hate to say that I said, that I thought that it, this would happen last week with uh, Texas A&M, but, you know, like Texas A&M, um, you know, uh, maybe Jimbo kind of, you know, uh, stuck some uh, – stuck a pitchfork in their butts and said, hey – you know, like, I want to be the first one to beat Alabama. You know, we have the talent to beat Alabama. We have players to beat Alabama. We are at home, you know, like everything is good because it's hard to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But with that being said, it, it takes the perfect storm to beat Alabama. And I just think that it kind of worked out for uh, Texas A&M last weekend. And, uh, you know, they pulled off the upset uh, whenever – I don't know, whenever Alabama went up that touchdown, I was like, oh, there they are, you know. And then uh, Calzone makes that wonderful throw on that one-on-one uh, -on -one coverage with that, you know, that deep slant and, uh, you know, tied it up. And I'm like, all right, well, Texas A&M is going to win this game for some strange reason. So I just don't, I just don't think the Alabama football player is really excited about the uh, practice and uh, what he had to do this week. and. Uh, with that being said, I can easily see uh, 35 to 7 or 35 to 10 at halftime and, uh, you know, just put it on cruise control. So I think Alabama rolls this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on the same side. I, I just think Alabama two weeks in a row, state defense is pretty good. Um, Air Raid had some success against Texas A&M, but I thought that was a terrible game plan by what is AM's defensive coordinator? His name's escaping me. I can't think of anyone this week, but um, I thought that was a terrible game plan the way they played him or played Texas AM and or played Mississippi State, I should say, and Will Rogers. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think State's as bad as they looked in the first week, first couple weeks, but I, I don't know if that's right there is good. Michael Elko, that was sorry, his name was escaping me. I thought that was a terrible game plan by him. He was pretty good uh, scheming against Alabama and taking away the running game. So I'll go Alabama as well. I just think that, you know, the air raid is not easy to stop per se, but I, I think when you kind of find a niche and find a pretty good game plan, which Alabama certainly has the athletes, particularly on the edge to do, it's going to be tough for state to move the ball, particularly when you get pressure on Rodgers. He's 
one, scared to push the football down the field, and two, make some poor decisions. So this screams 42-17 or something to me. So I'm going to go Alabama as well. Let's uh, let's see where well, Skybox is on. Can't, State can't run the ball. That's, That's another thing as well. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama throwing it 65 times. I understand that a lot of the air raid concepts is kind of like a pseudo run game, some of their shorter passes, but uh, I'm just not buying it against Alabama Skybox is underdog central this week. They're on Mississippi State, too. I think they've taken every single college underdog so far, except for Arkansas. So whatever you want to make of that out there as you're kind of planning your assault on the weekend listening, Skybox is all over the underdogs this weekend. Uh, let's skip past Ole Misses, which is what Skybox had next, and we will do them last, as we always do, or at least at last of the SEC games. I should say, where do we want to go next? Oh, we'll go to Vanderbilt and South Carolina. It is South Carolina minus 18 in Columbia. This one is so, I mean, I wouldn't watch this game. I wouldn't play this game. I don't know where Van, or where South Carolina is on the Vanderbilt scale of bad, but I got to think they're a little bit better, but I don't know if South Carolina is 18 points better than anyone. Uh Whatever, I got a soft spot for Vandy this year. I think I've lost money on them every single time I've picked them. But whatever, um, I'll go Vandy plus 18 here. I just am not sure if South Carolina is 18 points better than anyone, maybe not even UConn. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I've been doing the uh, butcher versus the spin instructor in my office at LB's. And uh, before we went to the uh, – played the six man in Batesville. Uh, there was a empty half gallon of gray goose, uh, in there that we dumped. And so oh. this is actually the, uh, this is the, uh, the, the half gallon grace gray goose game, uh, this week. So, uh, it ends up being Vanderbilt is going to be the gray goose half gallon, uh, game of the week every week because it just seems like uh you need to be drinking at least a half gallon of gray goose to be watching Vanderbilt <laughs> you know South Carolina's bad didn't you say the grad grad student is their quarterback he got benched Luke, uh, Luke Doty oh. got benched in favor of whatever the other kid's name his name is escaping me and I, I honestly I don't feel bad for not knowing it uh but yeah he got benched yeah it sounds like a cripple fight um uh, <laughs> I mean, is Vanderbilt that bad? Uh, with that being said, I mean, this also screams uh, <laughs> Vanderbilt losing by three touchdowns. But I'm going to go with you with Vanderbilt. You know, uh, let, let, let's show some, uh, some grit, grittiness and uh, let's, let's roll with Vanderbilt this week. Zeb Nolan was the GA. He got benched for Luke Doty. And so he is no longer the starting quarterback. Yeah, that's sounds terrible. Skybox is on Vanderbilt. My God, Skybox is all over the underdogs this week. Again, just put that, put file that away because these dudes know what we're doing. They don't, like we don't. But they, I mean, I they, honestly, I honestly feel like taking every underdog this weekend because uh, I feel like Skybox knows their stuff, and uh, if they're on the Bow Wows, I'm going to get on the Bow Wows. There we go. So Skybox is all over it this week. I believe that was all the SEC games. So we'll conclude the SEC games. With, of course, as we always do every week, the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss going to Knoxville. It's going to be a fascinating contest. Um, you know, I've kind of written the last three weeks, the last two weeks, this is going to be a measuring stick for the Ole Miss defense. And I don't really feel wrong for 
saying that either week, um, and I would say, you know, whether, I mean, you, I guess you could call it a test if you want to use a different term. And I would say they kind of flunked both of them, even though in a weird way, it was kind of working for about two and a half quarters to some degree uh, against Arkansas. And then they just ran out of gas, ended up on the field for 95 plays. If you listen to the pods throughout the week, kind of covered that ad nauseum. Um, but this is another test because I think it's a test because, you know, Tennessee scored 62 points or 60 plus points back-to-back weeks against South Carolina and Missouri. What do those two teams have in common? Missouri's defense is horrendous. I'm not sure if like South Carolina is just horrendous or they're that untalented, if that's even a word, either way that equates to bad, but I think Missouri is just like terrible tackling and like beyond just not, not talented, I guess, if you kind of understand what I'm getting at, where does Ole Miss fall on that scale? Because if they're, you know, kind of better than that, then I don't see Tennessee scoring 60 points. I mean, this is a very similar offense. It's pretty much the same offense with a couple of different, uh, I would say, intermediate passing game concepts uh, to Ole Miss because, you know, Levy was Hypo's offensive coordinator for a year at UCF. So, like, this is these teams are kind of mirror images of each other. So, you know, how bad or how improved is this Ole Miss defense, I think, is the million-dollar question. So this is a fascinating one to me. As of this recording on a Thursday evening, it is Ole Miss Rebels minus two and a half. Um, I won't overcomplicate this. I think Ole Miss has the better offense and the better quarterback. And even though it's on the road, give me that. That told me these two teams are about a five-ish, six. Ole Miss is six points better than Tennessee on a neutral field. And I don't think Matt Corral is going to shy. Like, I don't think Matt Corral is going to be shrunken by the moment. I don't think Tennessee's – I think the Tennessee's defensive front is good. I don't think they're good enough to completely neutralize Ole Miss in the running game. And I think Tennessee's secondary, while probably looked better than some thought, is still ultimately vulnerable. I think they went into the year thinking that was going to be a horrendous secondary, and it's been okay-ish. So I actually like this matchup for Ole Miss. Tennessee's offensive line is not very good. Um, I am all over the Rebels here, and I might be wrong. I've been wrong the last two weeks picking Ole Miss. Uh, I felt a little bit better about it last week than I did against Alabama, but I am all over the Ole Miss Rebels here. Yeah, I mean, I just want to congratulate uh, Tennessee on finally selling out a uh, the, their their stadium. You know, and it, it only takes Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss to come into town to uh, for them to sell, sell it out. So. That's that. That's a uh, congratulations on them. But uh, with that being said, like too much orange and too much white for me to uh, even remotely consider going to Knoxville to watch Ole Miss. Uh, just, I just think Ole Miss is bad. I mean, you know, um, KJ Jefferson in that offense with Arkansas, I think is a better than the uh, Tennessee offense. Um, man, it, I think it's going to be a really good game. I just think Matt Corral is the is the uh, is the deal breaker. You know, he's going to make plays whenever a play needs to be made, and I think that the Tennessee offense will eventually stop themselves, or maybe Ole Miss gets a couple stops to win the game. But uh, I just think Ole Miss is just uh, too good, uh, and I think that Ole Miss will win by ten points. There you have it. You're confident in that. I actually kind of like this matchup for Ole Miss as well. Um, you know, it's three weeks in a row. I've kind of, I didn't really have a feel for last week's game, but I figured I'd just take Ole Miss and the whatever they were given at home. I think it was like five, and that game ended up kind of weird. Um, but I was certainly wrong about them again in Alabama because I didn't really forecast Ole Miss with a healthy offensive line, not being able to block at all. 
Um, so like at the risk of sounding like a homer, I actually do kind of like Ole Miss in this spot. I don't know if they'll necessarily blow the doors off of them, but Ole Miss would have to really shoot themselves in the foot to lose this game, even if it's a shootout, uh, to be honest, because as much of a line as bad as this defense is before they've gotten worn down, they've gotten stops early in every single game. Uh, Alabama included the one time they were not in, you know, starting a drive in plus territory. So if Ole Miss can get a couple early stops and that offense is rolling and Ole Miss gets up 14-3 or 17-7 or something like that, um, I don't, not that the game is over at that point, but, man, I, I just don't feel good about Tennessee chasing that game. And I think it's more about Tennessee not having played a, you know, a team or a defense with the pulse over the last two weeks since Florida. So I like Ole Miss in this spot a lot. Skybox, uh, to, uh, with, to save the drama, is all over the Ole Miss Rebels as well so skybox is back on the favorites so their two favorites this week are arkansas and Ole miss they've been on the underdog uh everywhere else so that'll wrap up our sec games i'm looking forward to watching that uh taking a little pine dunes golf trip this weekend uh to this place in east texas that's kind of this little like golf reserve so we're staying out there gonna grill some stuff and watch the game so i'm looking forward to that uh going with some buddies i am uh, fired up about that let's get to three i had three more games on the books that were not sec games let's get to that real quick before we get to the nfl slate for week six the first one i had up was oklahoma and tcu oklahoma uh, obviously coming off the red river uh showdown win spencer rattler gets benched for caleb williams uh, I didn't see a ton of this game live. It was on in uh, my parents' seating in uh, the whatever the right below the Rebel Club is called. I don't even know what those are called these days. I think they're boxes. But anyway, I didn't watch a ton of it because obviously I was trying to pay as much attention as possible to the Ole Miss game. That K.O. Williams kid looks unbelievable. I think he's a five-star kid, um, you know, on the run off plane. He had two throws where it was like, holy hell, I know everyone likes to compare stuff to Mahomes, but that really looked like Herbert Mahomes-ish. From an arm talent standpoint, I think the Spitzer Rattler thing's over. Um, with that said, TCU's been playing really good football lately. It is Oklahoma minus 13 and a half in Norman. Um, but TCU's played good football, and Oklahoma, aside from this game against Texas, is kind of getting off in the weeds with some inferior opponents. I like I think this is a great spot for TCU here. I think Oklahoma wins the game, but I think it's close. So I'm gonna go with the Horn Frogs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, where is Spencer Rattler going to transfer to? I brought up the idea. Actually, I didn't even bring up the idea. I asked Weldon if he thought uh, Rattler, because Rattler is a very talented kid coming out of high school. I asked Weldon on the Sunday show if he thought Rattler was a re- rehabilitation project, like could a competent offensive mind. I just said, I think I just, all I said was like a Jeff Lebby or a Lane Kiffin like turn him into a good player. And I don't even remember what Weldon said. That's not the point. I got like three or four DMs being like, he's not coming here. Like, you know, shut up. And I was like, I didn't say he was going to all this. I was just asking the question. That's how these podcasts work. Um, one guy messaged me and was like, don't ever mention Spitler, Spencer Latler with Ole Miss again. I was like, oh, you're going to beat me up? Like, what, what in the world is this? So people are not happy about that. Uh, the notion of that, I should say, for the most part. Um, so Marshall, I don't know. I think he's Marshall, done. I don't know where he transfers, but he seems to have some uh, Tate Martell character in him, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. You might should have said that you heard from a third party that uh, he was he was thinking about transferring to uh, – to Ole Miss, you know, that, that made it worked out really well. Uh, well those student no, reporters will be all over it. They'll be, you know, staking <laughs> out his house. 
I, you know, that's one of the things that I'm so, uh, you know, man, the, the transfer portal is going to probably going to ruin it. You know, it just, uh, if it, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, if, uh, you sign up for a team and uh, it doesn't work out. Like you work harder. You try to be a better player. You try to be a better teammate. And instead this transfer portal just says, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out go to another school, you know? So uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't care where Spencer Rattler goes because I think, uh, I think I watched that QB one season and. Uh, Weldon actually you know, alluded to that. He said he came off very unlikable. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I just, like I said, all it takes for me to watch a couple episodes of that to where it's like, well, then uh, I don't blame Oklahoma for uh, for, for canning him. So, uh, with that being said, I'm pretty sure Spencer Rattler has the, the talent to be a QB1. But, uh, you know, you just got to build some character. Um, you got to, you know, uh, whenever certain things uh, get put up against you, you know, you got to, you know, um, you got to work harder. So, um Instead, uh, you know, transfer. But I, I, I just – I like TCU. I think uh, it's, this is a, a field goal touchdown game. I like TCU a lot. Skybox is on TCU, back on the underdogs. Look, I, we're rolling with the underdogs. Skybox is rolling with the underdogs. I got a feeling this is going to be a good week. Someone sent me this clip of me saying this when we inevitably just fall flat on our faces. But whatever, I don't care. Uh, we're uh, the nerds and the jocks are in agreement. Well, we can just call ourselves athletes. You cut up meat. I podcast. That's pretty athletic. Um, I mean, I play golf. That's pretty athletic. Uh, that's true. We both play golf. So we are athletes. So the athletes are agreeing with the nerds here. Um, so uh, watch out. Cause we're coming to take all of Vegas's money and I cannot wait to do it. So they're back on the underdog for that one. Two more real quick before we get to the national football league, we are going to go, where do we go next? Where did I send Skybox? Oh, Texas, Oklahoma state. Oklahoma State is plus four on the road back at Austin. So this game is in Austin, Texas minus four. I think Oklahoma State is sneaky good, but Texas has looked like a different team since the Thompson kid took over at quarterback, and it was kind of a soul-crushing defeat uh, last week. And, you know, first-year head coach, if there's ever a uh, rally the troops game, I should say, um, it would be this, like, you know, the first year at coach, not a ton of expectations, even though it's Texas. Um, I think they kind of, I think this is a 17 point win for Texas where it really feels like they stomped them. Um, and that's me. So that's someone who's higher on Oklahoma state than I think most people are. I think Oklahoma state's still undefeated if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going with Texas here. Where are you going? I like Oklahoma state. I mean, you know, like I said, I just think that uh, with uh, the Texas and Oklahoma joining the uh, SEC, I feel like these Big 12 teams want to take a swing at them. So uh, I, I think it's a field goal game. I mean, you know, uh, with with certain reasons and uh, the feel that I've gotten on all these Big 12 games uh, in the last couple of years is whoever gets the ball first, uh, I mean, whoever gets the ball last usually, you know, has the chance to either win or, you know, or – our cover. So uh, I, I just like Oklahoma State. I just think that uh, they're going to take a shot at them. And uh, why not, you know, take the better better team? 
Skybox is on Texas. I will say, though, Texas, if Oklahoma State actually turned out to be good, this is going to be kind of the put the world on notice. They're ranked 12th in the country, mostly because their record's unblemished and they're four-point underdogs against Texas. I guess neutral field, that kind of equals out to about equal. So, you know, if this is kind of Gundy has one of his better teams, this is the game where you kind of put the world on notice, I would say. They get Oklahoma, of course, at the end of the year in Bedlam. So, fascinating game here, actually. Kind of a sneak. I haven't watched a ton of Big 12 football this year, but this is kind of a sneaky, sneaky, intriguing game. The last one I sent Skybox was – I don't know why I sent him this. I was just being an idiot. Uh, North, North Carolina, Miami. Uh, I guess I just can't get enough of Philip Longo. I don't really know. Um, but this is what I had for that one. I th- believe – uh, this game is North Carolina minus seven and a half the games in Chapel Hill. They're about ready to fire Manny Diaz. Phil Longo beats up on bad teams and bad defenses, whatever. I'll go with the heels. We don't need to spend a ton of time on this. So uh, North Carolina is favored. Minus seven and a half at home against Miami. Jeez. I mean, can I just uh... – yeah, man, that, well, I'll, I'll go with you on the uh, – obviously, Phil Longo is at the head coach, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll take Mac Brown because uh, he knows what he's doing. I can tell I stooped. You didn't have much of an opinion on that one. I don't really either. I really have no idea why I emailed that to the guys at Skybox. That was just kind of dumb. They're on UNC as well. So, whatever, the nerds and the athletes continue to uh, stay in agreement. That's enough college football. That was kind of a uh, watered-down – uh, way to end that but whatever now is the uh famous mike francesca said or the great mike francesca says we're about to switch to the league where they play for pay and getting things started in week six of the national football league you know what's mike francesca was still doing radio and he was kind of hanging on by a thread you know radio is one of those businesses where when you lose your fastball there's no hiding it when these old guys have you know, I mean, Mike Francesca is a radio legend. I'm not like disrespecting what he and the Mad Dog kind of did for radio, but when you lose it on live radio every day, there's no hiding it. Like when you're a writer and you've kind of lost it, and there's like the great old writers, you can kind of hide it because one, you don't have to write as much, and two, you can kind of focus on bigger moments and they still have historical perspective. When you're on live radio every day, when you lose it, you're just exposed. Like th- there is no hiding a guy that just doesn't have it. And that Funhouse account, do you know this Twitter account that he kind of made his hay on just tweeting the dumb stuff that Mike Francesa said over his final years on radio? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's uh, in correlation to, uh, golly, who's that uh, uh, MLB umpire? That's uh, uh, Angel Hernandez. Yeah. I think that's like an adjacent account to both of those. Okay. Well, he, I, I, I discovered him from the, uh, from the Mike Francesa stuff, but every week Mike Francesa would go, now we switch to the league where they play for pay. And then he goes, all right, week six. Can't believe how fast this goes by. It's already week six. And he compiled a clip from Mike Francesa saying that every week from week seven to week 17, where he'd go, all right, it's already week two. Can't believe it. <laughs> all the way up. week 12 can't believe it's gone by this fast it's like it's just a robot saying the same thing every week like it's just the classic just kind of take this horse out back and shoot him like he's he's lost it type of deal oh but man anyway uh, i just went on up and tainted. it cracked me up uh you want to go to a god disgusting affordable to start off this like oh wait a minute is this a london game Yes, it is a London game. They're sending the Jags back to London. They might should just relocate the franchise to London. We got another London game this week. Uh, our shittiest export 
to Great Britain is the NFL teams we send them. We made them watch the Jets and the Falcons last week, uh, but apparently they eat that up. Uh, I guess, you know, I stopped caring about what they thought in 1776, but, uh, you know, when we can't give them the marquee games. We can't be sending Patrick Mahomes across the pond. They'll try to indoctrinate him and get him to play soccer and stuff. So we're sitting in the Jags and the Dolphins. It is Jack. It is Jags plus three, and some degenerates are going to wake up at 7.30 in the morning and bet this, and God bless you people. I mean, why not take the under? 47. Oh, that's, a, that's a spicy under. Man, what a terrible, what a terrible game. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, I couldn't imagine because I didn't get to see the Falcons and Jets. And uh, I mean, obviously, what was it, 27 20? Yeah, and it was like 17 3 or 20 to 3 early on. It was, it was, I was following along as I was uh, and watched bits and pieces of it. I was flying back from Oxford back to Dallas. Uh, it was, it sounded as like it, following along, it was like, I know this game's gross. I didn't watch up much of it, but I didn't need to. I would think I think it would be as gross as a uh, a uh, New England breakfast plate. I don't know if you've ever seen a New England breakfast plate. Have you seen one of those? I, I have not. You talk, we talking fish and chips here? What's going on? No, this is uh, so uh, you know I'm a whole city fan, and uh, they would uh, like screenshot their. Uh, breakfast plates and they would have baked beans link sausage like a, 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 a fried hash brown and some eggs so like I don't think I'd ever want to eat baked beans as a breakfast item so uh, well, I wouldn't and, either you, know, you just course, fart for the rest of the day that seems like uh, you know a self-inflicted well, I mean, wound it, it seems like you know most uh most people from the UK are kind of stinky. So I can, uh, I can, you know, now I know why they are stinky is because they eat baked beans at eight o'clock in the morning and watch soccer. So, I mean, why wouldn't you, uh, why wouldn't you uh, be stinky after that? Good point. Um, with, with that being said, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that the NFL has decided to uh, just uh, pull the trigger on sending every terrible team that they, uh, uh, post investment in uh, over to the pond, uh, to the long pond and see uh, what's the what's the game again? I've already it's forgotten. Jacksonville it's plus three. You know what? I'll say it. Jags get their first win because how fitting would it be for Urban Meyer to get his first win and it not come on American soil? Jags plus yeah. three. Yeah, and I don't think there's a lot of uh, dance clubs over there in England to where he could sit in his chair and, uh, and, uh, grab some, uh, grapes and fruit. So, uh, yeah, uh, let, let's go with Jacksonville. How about that? Yeah. What do they call the coaches that stink and Ted Lasso wankers? Do you think he's walking around the pubs being like, Hey, I have a wanker. I don't know how that works. Um, but hopefully oh, yeah. he's not hitting the pubs again. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. Uh, so oh, yeah. we've, uh, we spent he, entirely he, too much time on that game because he's, he's a wanker for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> he is a wanker. Can, it is Urban Meyer, pod, the wanker. He is a wanker pod. and he, uh, you know, his wanker I mean, got like, into trouble as well. So likes tweets about him being bad. So, I mean, that's, that makes you a double wank. We'll stay in the AFC South on this one. Uh, Colts minus 10 at home against the Houston Texans. Both these teams blew games last week. Houston, a little more uh, expected, I should say, 
uh, blows one to New England in a game they really should have won. Davis Mills, actually, the rookie from Stanford, uh, still replacing Tyrod Taylor. I'm assuming if this game's a 10-point game, Tyrod Taylor's not healthy. Uh, looked kind of frisky for parts of that game. He did some nice things. I think he was like 16 and 19 or something at one point, something crazy. Wasn't really pushing the ball down the field, but uh, a bad team that is the Texans kind of threw up down their leg. And then, my God, the choke job of the Indianapolis Colts on Monday Night Football I get Lamar had an all-time performance. He was incredible, and two things can be true at once, but, man, they pissed that away, um, which would have been a huge win for them. Indianapolis minus 10. Uh, call me crazy because my first two first two bets in the NFL are going to be the Jaguars and the Texans, but I don't think the Colts are 10 points better than the Texans. Maybe I'm an idiot. I'm going to go Texans plus 10. Well, I just hate to agree with you, but I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh <laughs> I, I just, you know, like I said, I, I thought the Colts had an opportunity to win that game and, uh, you know, kind of shake up the NFC, uh, the AFC South. But, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson's a good player. Uh, with that being said. I, he was unbelievable in that game. Oh, yeah. I, Which was a fantasy dynamite. I had a guy that had Andrews and uh, Lamar Jackson, and that was like 81 and a half points combined. They each went for 40 bombs. I mean, and you just, you know, sit back and relax and you watch it and uh, you just kind of stress, like, why doesn't NFL push this guy a little bit more? Uh, because, I mean, it's it's good product. Risky game here, uh, staying with the 1 o'clock slate. Bears hosting the Packers. Bears have gone with Justin Fields, even though, you know, Matt Nagy was kind of publicly enemy number one throughout the offseason and really through the first season's first three weeks for insisting that Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, was the starting quarterback and the fields wasn't ready. Fields did not look good two weeks ago against whomever they played. I can't remember who it was. It was pretty good defense. Um, I'm not even going to try to remember. But the last two weeks against the Detroit Lions and against the embattled, now embattled Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they've looked pretty good. And I hate to say it, but the Bears kind of have something here. That defense is still really good. And if they're halfway competent offensively, um, you know, a lot of people thought Nagy might be one of the first coaches fired this year. Uh, he seems to be kind of an asshole. Like he's kind of one of the guys that like, like, I mean, you know, when the day modern day and age of press conferences, you have dudes just giving other guys credit. Cause that's just what you say now, even if they don't believe it, he's actively just trying to take credit away from fields. Like he wants to be the genius behind it, which is kind of what he was the first year with Mitch Trubisky and more power to him. So as much as I hate to admit it, they might kind of have something here. It's bears plus six in uh soldier field. And, I think the Packers are good. I think that week one was a fluke, but why would I not take the Bears plus six here? Yeah, I, I like the Bears too. And, uh, you know, I um, I thought that at the first of the year, if they didn't give Fields the uh, starting job, they weren't going to be a good team and they wouldn't have any shot of uh, winning any football games. And I think that Fields gives them the best shot to win a game, uh, regardless of who they're playing. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, I think the Packers are – a good football team, but I mean, this is the time to, to beat the Packers, you know, the, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFour, uh, you know, romance isn't the, uh, the best, uh, best thing going. And, uh, you can see Aaron Rodgers that literally has one foot out the door and, you know, why not take advantage of this? Um, uh, I, I like, I like the bears here. I think I, I agree with you. Yeah. My thing is not to do the transitive property deal. Cincinnati, uh, the, the bear, uh, the Packers went to, Cincinnati last week and the Bengals were plus three at home and that closed at two and a half. And do you think the 
Bears are better or worse than the Bengals? If you want to argue that the Bengals are better, it's probably by a point or two at best. So if you're getting six at home in Soldier Field, which is a better home field advantage, I'd be all over this. So that's where I'm going with Allen. Uh, we're agreeing in agreement on that. Uh, here's kind of a fascinating one, but not necessarily for good reasons. The Washington football team is plus six and a half at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City has some issues. Um, they have the worst defense in the NFL. They're average. I saw a stat the other day. They're averaging 7.6 yards per snap allowed. So they're giving up 7.6 yards per play. And that's like the worst by far in the history of the NFL since that stat was kept, which is only granted is only 20 years. But I mean, look, man, 20 years, 20 years. That's that's not good. Taylor Heineke, who I thought was kind of frisky, did not have a good week last week. That was more on the Washington defense. I don't really know what to make of this. I'm tired of going with Washington. I guess this is a get right week for the Chiefs. I hate betting on the Chiefs with that defense, but I just think the Mahomes and that offense are too good. So I'll go Chiefs minus six and a half, even though it's on the road. I hate laying that many points on the road, but whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I like the, I like the Chiefs here. I just, uh, you know, there's some games that you know throw out the red flag. And by the way, uh, what what goes what's going on with Twitter? Like, are you supposed to say something that isn't true and then put the red flag up? It, like, what is going on with that, buddy? You're asking the wrong guy. But from the you know that that trend's already been worn out. So congrats to all the unoriginal content creators on Twitter. Uh, that trend has already been worn out, but that is what I understand. I think you're supposed to say something untrue and then put a bunch of red flags and that makes you edgy. You get a hundred likes and then I guess you go on and, you know, take a dump and yeah. go to lunch. I don't really know what the deal is with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, we, we live in a world where you get uh, however many likes and uh, retweets. Uh, so I guess that's what kind of world we live in. Uh, with that being said, uh, uh, the Washington football team, has a good defense, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah, that's a, honestly that. a great point. That They played a bunch of bad offenses last year. They're not really that good. I think we've proven that, right? Yeah, so uh, let's uh, let's go with uh, the, the Chiefs to get back on track and win by two touchdowns. How about that? Sticking with the early slate, got a couple more games. I think this is the first week of heavy bye weeks in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. So we will – let's see. Oh, here's a – fascinating game again for not necessarily great reasons carolina panthers hosting the minnesota vikings um if you made me guess this line without looking at it i would have said panthers by two or three home teams about even home team gets a field goal what is uh what would you guess this is um panthers three and a half it is minnesota minus two and a half well, if whenever you say that, and I guess so wrong, I think honestly it should be a pick on after after getting the actual line. So right. I think it's just a, I think it's just a, a coin toss on this game. I just look they're comparable defenses. I think Carolina probably has the better one. I think Minnesota has more weapons offensively, but. Darnold or Cousins, I guess that's right out of coin flip. I'm just going to go with the home team here. Uh, I, I like Carolina. That's one of those lines that doesn't make sense, and you're supposed to go with the one, the part that doesn't make sense, but I'm still I'm going to challenge my own brain. Um, I like Carolina here. I, Kirk Cousins on the road, no thank you. Um, at least Sam Darnold can run a bit. I know he looked terrible last week against the Eagles. They should not have lost that game. I cannot believe 
Carolina blew that game to Philadelphia. Carolina was in control of that game for, what, literally 48 minutes. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, the Eagles are going to win. Like, what, what's this happened? And then the same thing with the – the same thing with the Vikings. They were in control, of seemingly an insurmountable, like 16 to three lead against the winless Detroit Lions. And then they throw up down their legs, should have lost the game, and it took a 50 something yard field goal to break the Lions' hearts again. Sucks to be a Lions fan. Um, but I, I'm just. Did, uh, didn't the coach cry after the game? He did. I'll give him a pass on that. He's lost on a 66 yard field goal and a 53. I'd probably tear up too. Well, I mean, you know, like I, I think he. Uh... It, he's like bringing a particular mentality into the, the 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 program, like trying to bring like a like a no holds barred, like we, you know. He did. He said if it was up to him, he would have a real lion on the sidelines, and not. I don't think it was caged either. Yeah, I can just hear Lane Kiffin saying that he wants some sharks on the sidelines, like swimming around and uh, the getting thrown chum whenever the defense uh, can't convert a third and ten. So. Uh, <laughs> I would kind of that'd be kind of badass. I, I think so. I mean, you know, they just announced a $250 million renovation. So, like, why not throw some um, live sharks uh, in the in the end zone or something? Like, try to get some activity. I mean, like, maybe uh, – I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, if the defense does, doesn't convert a third uh, – I like where you're, you're going. Yeah, maybe get Tyler uh, throw, Knight, just throw, feed him to the sharks. <laughs> Yeah, throw throw a DB back in, throw, throw a DB in the uh, shark tank and uh, replace him with the next one. You know, like next guy in line. I don't. Uh, no, that's tough. I mean, like just the thought of losing on a sixty-five yard field goal and then a fifty-yard field goal. But uh, I, I, I'm gonna go with the Lions here. I, I, I mean, like terrible pick. So why not? Wait, we're uh, Panther different different cat. So same same wild animal, but different cat. We're we're uh, Panthers uh, Vikings. Yeah. Okay. So, with that being said, I, I, I'm going to go with the Panthers with you on this. Uh, I just this is my not, first lock. I, I think I, 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 I like, lock the Panthers. I, I just don't like the Vikings. I just think that Kirk Cousins is I don't know. He's a head scratcher for me. I hate betting on and against Kirk Cousins because when he's against him, you're like, damn it, how is this dumb asshole completing passes still? And then when you're betting on him, it's like, why can't he throw it? past the line of scrimmage it's it's the and he makes like millions and millions of dollars it's a terrible experience so uh last 1 p.m game oh here's a tasty one baltimore ravens minus two and a half against the la chargers here um lamar Where's incredible game at? we already re-asked that herbert wins a wild one against cleveland uh last week in a game you could probably argue cleveland should have won but you know things got weird kind of late that came down we both took the la chargers last week because we trusted herbert more than baker um honestly i'm on the la chargers here on the road i'll take the two and a half on the road i think they're better i think they have a better defense and i think lamar struggles a lot more against better defenses it's not even the passing i think they're just able to corral him more running the football a little bit as well i i actually really like the chargers in this spot i'm gonna go with a uh, um uh, lee corso not so i wish that let me pick up a pin not so fast i like it hell yeah friend. I mean, <laughs> no, I think it's going to be a really good game. It's actually a really good matchup of two really good quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson a, a really, is a really good player. And I think Herbert is, you know, kind of sneaky good in being the top five echelon of the quarterbacks in uh, the NFL. Uh, with that being said, I just think that, you know, Lamar Jackson has that X factor and uh, – 
I'm going to go with the uh, the time zone angle on this one. So if it's at Baltimore and uh, the Chargers are traveling to Baltimore, I, I like Baltimore. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Well, no, I went the other way, but I understand what you're saying. That's a coin flip game. That's going to be absolutely unbelievable. Um, so I, I'm surprised that wouldn't get flexed to the late slate. But, no, I feel you there. That's that's kind of a either way because it's kind of – I mean, the Ravens do win a lot of tough games like that, particularly at home. Um, but I, I'm just really high on the Chargers, man. They're a screwy game away from with Dallas from being undefeated. And uh, I think you're going to get a lot of Herbert second-half MVP buzz. I know what Josh Allen's doing. Um, but I, I really think Herbert is going to make a run at that MVP. He, he is really unbelievable, man. He has a cannon. He can run better than you think. And that's a talented roster. Um, anyway, last one BM game, uh, the New York football giants are at home plus nine against the LA Rams. This tells me that Danny dimes is probably not playing. I'll get it on that as we speak. But if that's Giants plus nine, that tells me Danny Dimes is not playing because he had actually kind of had a pretty good year. He was the team's not good, but he wasn't turning the ball over. Um, and he they've like he he was kind of kind of showing some signs, I guess. But I'm assuming he's not playing. I'll get idea on that. If that being the case, I think I will go. Look, this is a stay away central, but I guess I'll go the Rams, even though Mike Glennon uh, and whatever that guy, he was not Mike Glennon. Who was the backup last week? Who's the Giants backup? I think it. Uh, he's got a long neck, right? Yeah, I think it is Mike Glennon. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, yeah, it is Mike Glennon. He was doubt, throwing some bombs last week, um, but I'm still not buying it. A if good he, long neck. Yeah, if he doesn't, he doesn't play – I mean, if Danny Dimes doesn't play, then I'll I, I definitely going with the Rams here, even though it's mine's not. Well, I mean, again, uh, I know this is a terrible angle, and uh, uh, it usually doesn't win. But uh, you know, it's a time zone factor for me. You know, this the uh, I'm going to go with the Giants. Uh, I think there's a lot of points here, and uh, with the Rams traveling to the East Coast, uh, you know, it's hard to get on that East Coast t- time zone when you've been hanging out on the West Coast time zone. So. <laughs> Uh, terrible angle, terrible idea, but let's go with the Giants. Uh, no, I don't, I don't blame you there. Nine, nine point home underdogs, no matter who's playing quarterback is that's a tough cover, but, uh, I just think that defense is too good, particularly when they're healthy. Oh, now we're into the late slate. We got three late slate games. Then we'll get to the Sunday night, Monday night game, get out of here. An awesome game. Maybe the game of the afternoon to start off the late slate. The Cleveland Browns are minus three against the cocaine Cardinals. Um, I'm going to use my second lock here, and I'm going to go Cardinals money line. I know that Browns defense is better than Arizona's. I know the run game is better, but let me tell you, I trust a hell of a lot more than Baker Mayfield, and that is Kyler Murray. I'm all over the cocaine Cardinals here to win this game outright. I don't think Cleveland is that good. I think they're a wild card team again. I don't think they'll win that division. Honest to God, I think uh, Baltimore is probably going to end up winning it. Um, Give me the cocaine Cardinals here in my second lock money line. I don't even need the points. Plus three, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, so are, are we uh, 2-0 and against uh, the spread with the, the double C, Cocaine Cardinals? Uh, they didn't cover we, last we, week. They tried to throw that game away, if you remember, against the, uh, against the Niners. Oh, God. The Cardinals. I guess they didn't get it. That's why they the called the Cocaine come, Cardinals, uh, get, buddy. They were fast. covering for most of the game, and then they didn't cover. Yep, they, they, uh, the bag ran out. That's what happened. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. 
No, they covered. They, yeah, covered. they covered. No, it, it was 17 to 10, and that was six and a half. You're exactly right. I was wrong on that. I'm telling you, you got to watch out for those cocaine cardinals. They get in the bag early, and they get out to that early lead, and it's just hard to catch up with them. So, to hell with uh, it. All the more reason to take them. We're all over the cocaine cardinals. I, I, I love the cocaine cardinals. So, uh, I, 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 in all honesty, I'm going to try to submit a uh, form into the NFL and uh, maybe uh, uh, call Roger Goodell a, a very nice man and uh, try to get the name changed for the cocaine cardinals. I like that. I'll take it a step further. I'm going to holler up on Tate Reeves and beg, look, Sundays from three to six when the Cardinals are playing, cocaine should be legal. Yes, for sure. Because, I mean, they get they, they get in that bag early, they get out to the gate early, and they get out fast. And, uh, I mean, that's what you got to do in these games. I think someone on the message board one time called cocaine the devil's dust. And I've just, for whatever reason, that stuck in my head for quite a while. But whatever we're on the cocaine cardinals this week that really is though all joking aside i know we stole that from the bill simmons podcast but it really is a very apt reference if uh, i guess if what you know the hollywood tells you what cocaine is like uh gambling on them is a ridiculous experience yeah i mean like i would have to say the same thing about the Ole Miss rebels i mean you know like we could, uh, they, they could like tag each other, you know, sponsor each other. Uh, next one, we got the embattled Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, buddy. Uh, the Denver Broncos are minus three and a half against the Las Vegas Raiders. And I'm about to do something ungodly here, but I'm, I'm, I'm honestly kind of proud of it. So Denver's minus three and a half. It's in Denver. I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. I know they look bad for, two weeks in a row, or excuse me, three weeks in a row, really. They kind of etched out of that Miami game barely. They've had a terrible week. John Gruden gets fired. We don't really need to go into all that. Um, But I don't think uh, Denver – Quick question. I got to ask you a quick question. Have you started deleting emails from 15 years ago? Um, No, I have not because actually Chase and I talked about that on the Tuesday show. Look, if you have the desire – uh, and look, I, I'm not saying I, I do or anyone does, so please don't get that twisted. But like, if you had the desire to speak that way about people, why in God's name are you doing that on email? I, even if you're emailing your buddy, like that's a Google Gmail at best. Like, what? Why are you doing? You're an employee of ESPN. Why are you doing that on email? Like that. That to me seems about the dumbest thing. Look, so I, I, I my text messages. I'm pretty boring guy. My, my everything's pretty buttoned up, but my email is 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 about as straight laced as they come. I'm not big forward, you know, inappropriate memes guy or whatever the hell, whatever the hell, uh, you know, R-rated email guy is. I don't really get him. I, I'm pretty straightforward on email because I don't use email. I mean, I use email every day, but I don't use it to like chat with folks if that makes sense. I use email yeah, to, like, I mean, you know, communicate professionally, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's kind of a head scratcher that uh, the NFL investigates the Washington Redskins on 650,000 emails, and the only thing that comes out of those emails is some emails from John Gruden. Um, well, it, I, yeah, I think it'll end eventually come out. Um. But, I just think it's kind of a head scratcher, you know, how it's just like well someone uh, wanted him out. That 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 that's the you can like that's that's the itch on your head. Someone had an axe to grind with him because of what he said. 
Um, but I think more is coming out. And you saw the Schefter thing. I think they're going to ultimately try to take down Dan Snyder, the owner. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it never comes out. But you're right. I do think it's bizarre. But I think – I guess what I'm saying is just wait, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but I just think it's really weird that, you know, uh, uh, somebody's making a comment on an email that uh, happened 10 years ago regardless of who it was. But I agree with you on that, like, you know, like you, you gotta like, you know, keep your emails and everything very basic. You know, you can't be like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, say for example, whenever somebody asked me about a horse and I'd turn around and say, it's a rat, like, uh, you know, horse and a rat is two different things, but it's not, you know, <laughs> discriminating, you know, that, you know, that bad, you know? So, uh, I don't know, man. It's just a weird world we live in. And then just, you know, with that being said, uh, I just think it's kind of awkward. But I'm going to go with the, the Raiders with you, too. I just think that they're a good they're a good team, you know, regardless who's coaching them. But I, I like the Raiders, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm actually going to lock it. That's going to be a gross one for my third lock. I just – I look, I, I get it. Like, they've had a terrible week. But they're kind of that's kind of win one for the Gipper Rally, the Troops week. And I think Denver sucks. Denver's wins the first three weeks to get to three and zero were Jacksonville and the two New York teams. I, I don't and, think they're good. And Baltimore handled Baltimore handled them very easily for sure. And they were down twenty four to six against the Steelers team that has a quarterback that is literally tripping over his own feet. Did, Pittsburgh is not good, and Denver uh, was absolutely getting shellacked in that game. They came back late to make the final score better. I think Denver stinks, and so I think Vegas wins this game outright. Call me crazy. So I, yeah. I think they're a much better football team. I'll take Carr over Bridgewater. Uh, I think the weapons are better. Defenses, I guess you give Denver the benefit of the doubt, but those guys are kind of old. It's not the same Denver defense that it was, you know, three, four years ago, even with Bradley Chubb and some of those other guys. Anyway, uh, marquee game of the afternoon. This has to be the Buck Aikman game, or maybe it's since it's in Foxborough, it's Romo Nance. We'll have to see. New England plus three at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I hate to use fire off all my locks in a row, but I saved them for the late window for a reason. I'm firing my fourth lock on Dallas. I promise this is not just me being a biased Texan. Uh, Dallas is good. Dak is an MVP candidate. Dallas's defense has figured it out. This Trayvon Diggs thing is kind of bizarre that he's just come out of nowhere. Uh, Dallas is good, and New England should have lost to Houston last week. What am I missing here? Because I think Dallas is going to destroy them. Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, obviously Dallas is a really good uh, regular season team. So I, I don't see why Dallas doesn't win by uh, two touchdowns here. So uh, if this was a playoff game, I would kind of semi-consider the Patriots on this. But uh, it's definitely not a playoff game. So with that being said, I like the Cowboys too. Yeah, and no, I'm with, all over this. Have you locked with, any games him, yet? I don't think so. I, I think I've totally forgot about locking games. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, like I, I, I know uh, whenever you said <laughs> the fact that we record these late on Thursday nights is highly appropriate. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, like, but if I am going to lock one game, I mean, I've locked that uh, Kentucky, I mean, game, like, I mean, like, Keeneland just opened up Kentucky there at 630. Like, that was like the lock of the century. So, uh, I, I'm going to lock up uh, Dallas. How about I'll lock up Dallas this week just because, you know, Dallas, uh, Dak's going to be wearing those blue Delta jeans. Maybe we can get a little semi-sponsorship uh, 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 call on this. So, 
Uh, let's go with uh, Dak Prescott and the, and the blue Delta jeans. <laughs> there we go. We have first lock comes with two games left. So Sunday night game, uh, this is a classic one. You know, you were talking about how the Monday night games are weaker, and I was kind of explaining it like that's easier when you – like Sunday night can flex a game out of the day slot, but Monday night has to be pretty set. This is a game on paper that looks pretty good, but is not – it's Pittsburgh at home against the Seattle Seahawks without Russell Wilson. I'm not sure Russell Wilson has ever missed a game in his career. Actually, I'm positive he hasn't. Um, but he screwed up his thumb last week in the Thursday night game, and it ended up being – more than a dislocated finger or whatever it is. He screwed up some sort of ligament. He's out five weeks. Um, I'm actually surprised by this line. It's Pittsburgh minus five, but Geno Smith didn't look bad. It was kind of the full Geno Smith experience. He threw a couple balls where it was like, oh, okay, this guy's kind of awesome. And then he threw the ball the other, to the other team to end the game. Um, I wouldn't – I would stay away from this game for the most part, but – I'm actually going to go Seattle here because I think Pittsburgh sucks. I'm still, I don't care that they beat Denver last week. I don't think Denver's good. Um, Seattle's defense is okay enough. I'm actually going to go Seattle here plus five. Uh, Geno Smith, like West Virginia, D- Geno Smith? Uh, yes. I think so. Isn't that, isn't that Geno? Yes, Geno West Smith, Virginia. West Virginia, Geno Smith. Man, I mean, you know, like I'm sitting here not tempted not to get on this West Virginia, G- Geno Smith because – uh, you know, the bacon cheeseburger is just uh do you think do you think Roethlisberger should retire after this year? Like oh, they're gonna make him, dude. He's done. If if he weren't who he was and he didn't have two Super Bowls, they would have benched him already. He's horrible. Watch him every week. Watch two quarters of a Steelers game. He cannot throw. He he I hate to be like hot take Stephen A. Smith guy. He he's done. If he were not Ben Roethlisberger, he would not still have his starting job. Wow. I, I mean, with that being said, I, I think I'll take Pittsburgh here. I mean, I just uh, I just liked the way you just talk so bad about ben, ben Roethlisberger being done that I think that the Steelers are going to win by 10 points here. Okay, so, with that being but, said, they could do that despite him. You know what I mean? It's a backup. They're going up against a backup quarterback. I don't hate the Steelers pick, but if you're asking, like, just sheer Ben Roethlisberger, is he going to have to retire? He, he absolutely has to. He, he's, he's cooked. Man, it, I mean, you know, like I would think that he was cooked last year before he even considered coming back. Like, like I just, I don't know. I just, uh, I think there's certain pro, uh, certain teams that need to press the refresh button. I hate to say the New Orleans Saints is one of those to press the refresh buttons, but you know, the Steelers are one of those teams that, like, you know, you've had a head coach there forever, you've had a, a starting quarterback there forever. You just got to, you know, press the refresh button, you know, but uh, yeah, they know, but I'm going to take the Steelers at home just because it's a, uh, the, uh, the, uh, time zone game, you know, it's at Pittsburgh, Seattle traveling to Pittsburgh. I'm just going to take this up to the, the time zone angle and I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. It's not a bad bet. I wasn't dumping on Ben to like discourage you for get away from the Steelers because again, they are facing Geno Smith. Like, you know, Geno could be completely incompetent and that because that Steelers defense is awesome, right? Like that could be a 20 to nothing game just because of, you know, he turns it over four times, but like either tomorrow night or excuse me, not tomorrow night, Sunday night, or it's sometime in the next couple of weeks, throw like enough money down on the Steelers to make you pay attention to the game and try to watch him for three quarters. It's, it's brutal. But I think they could easily win this game anyway, clearly because they're favored. Last one of the week, 
uh, that my Tennessee Titans are playing on Monday night football in Nashville. They're plus five and a half against the Buffalo Bills. Um, look, I, I hate doing the whole road favorite. I've done it twice this week, which I, I think twice. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. Um, I don't like doing it, but, dude, I'm a realist. I've seen the Titans play defense. Josh Allen is going to absolutely destroy this defense. I hope I'm wrong, so I guess this is a win-win, but I'm on the Bills minus five and a half on the road. Um, they're the best team in football right now. They may not end up being the best team in football, but no one is playing better than them, and Allen is on a whole other level, man. Um, I think they're going to do terrible things to the buff to the Titans defense. And the thing is, particularly if they get up early in the game, the bad thing about the Titans is when you get up early, Tannehill's not bad, but the Titans' greatest weapon is Derrick Henry. And when you're down 14 points, you can't use him the way you normally use him. Um, so I'm all over the bills here. With that being said, I, I'm going to take the lock here and take the Tennessee Titans the whole Monday night. I mean, like, you just – you you I mean – I think you you literally took the butter knife and took a perfect amount of butter and put it on the right side of the bread, went to the left side, and it just was a perfect piece of uh, buttered bread. So with that being said, like, I'm going to take that butter and I'm going to take that bread and I'll, I like Tennessee and I'm going to lock it up. Okay. I love that because obviously I'd love for the Titans to win, but I, I like that. Greg, in uh, the podcast with Little Spice. Well, that's it, my friend. That is week six. In the NFL, we are, uh, as Mike Francesca says, can't believe it's already week six, but it has gone by fast. So soak it up and enjoy it. We do get an extra week this year. That's awesome. But uh, I appreciate the time, my friend, and we will uh, we will assess the damage this time next week. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think no damage is going to be involved. I think uh, we, uh, we, we lock it up this week, and uh, it's for sure a winning week. Uh, next time uh, when, I, when I see you, waiting more than five minutes at the library for a drink. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a drink over there. How about that? <laughs> Hell yeah. Appreciate it, dude. We're hot shit next week. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, appreciate the time as always. All right. That's our show. Appreciate Greg's time as always. If you made it to the end, as always on this marathon of a Friday show, really appreciate you guys. I've enjoyed seeing this podcast grow and uh, I'm fired up to continue to try to bring content to you guys and, uh, you know, some different and creative ways. Y'all have a great start to your weekend. Walter and I will be back on Sunday.